edition of the Global Revolution. As always, we're the coolest guys around, and today we are cooler than ever because we are bringing to you one of the best, if not the best, weekends of wrestling of the entire year. Certainly, in my opinion, I would say the best for any individual promotion, not counting weekends where many promotions may come together to put on shows. Even they would have a run for their money, I believe. That's right, we were talking about 16 karat gold, the biggest tournament in independent wrestling. One of them, indeed, from WXW Germany. Oh, man, there's going to be a lot to say tonight. We're going to bring it all to you. It's going to be awesome. And I do, of course, say we, because I would not, could not, should not do this by myself. I bring to you a lovely, wonderful man. He's my friend, and he should be yours. He's called Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Ms. Fan there. We've got Inner Circle. We've got Three Nights of WXW 16 karat gold. We've got Ambition 10. That is five shows worth of content to talk about from one of the biggest weekends in all of independent professional wrestling. WXW 16 karat gold. One of what I would say the two premier independent wrestling tournaments going on in the world today between this and Chikara's King of Trios. You cannot get any bigger, and this is where, as as it was said, all eyes of the wrestling world were on 16 Carat, and we finally got a chance to check out all the events from that weekend, all the things that were going on. We've got title matches, we've got a huge tournament, we've got shoot-style fighting, we've got a whole lot of things to talk about, and we have what I would say was the clearest indication that someone is listening to me specifically (laughs) because of the way 16 Carat went down. We're going to talk about all that. Ms. Fan, where do we start? What do we talk about first? Because there was, whoo, there was a heaping lot. There was a tremendous amount. I suppose there's no better way to go than chronologically. So uh, we'll start then with Inner Circle, the kind of more uh, intimate show at their training dojo that takes place uh, kind of before all the proper festivities begin. Uh, I don't want to go match by match on this show, because uh, even though I enjoyed it a lot, the matches uh, are not really quite as important. I do want to specifically shout out, though, we had uh, a couple of matches I especially enjoyed on this card. One is you taking on Killer Kelly in the battle of two of my favorite women in all of wrestling right now. The other is the main event, Walter and Timothy Thatcher, Ring Comp, facing off. You had Shigehiro Irie and Yuki Ishikawa, a legend of shoot style in Japan. So, uh, yeah, really liked both of these matches in particular. I don't believe I'd ever seen Yuki Ishikawa before. And at, like, 53, I think, that dude is, like, hard as nails. He really impressed me. I was very glad with his uh, performance really all across the weekend. Yes, indeed. Uh, Both of these matches were really good. I also want to shout out. Um, I didn't believe it was Mark Davis versus Ilya Dragunov on this show as well. Probably mm-hmm. my third uh, match to mention on there. Just all three of these matches, I think, were just really good, really fun, enjoyable matches. I really like the sort of more intimate setting of the uh, WXW Dojo as uh, where the show took place. Um, and yeah, just really all three matches, really, really good standouts from that show. Uh, you and Killer Kelly have great chemistry and always work really well together, I think. They put on some killer matches pretty much every time they get in the ring. Um, I'm a big uh, Dunkzilla Davis fan, and I'm a humongous Ilya Dragunov fan. To see them going back and forth was a lot of fun as well. And that main event, 
Yuki Ishikawa, already like an immediate new favorite of mine. Um, oh. Knew the name, like heard of the name, never got the chance to actually see him do anything before. And within one weekend, I just, I now love this dude. He's like, as Ms. Fan said, hard as nails, despite being 50 plus years old, really a guy who can just go toe to toe with the likes of Walter and Timothy Thatcher and a couple of other names that we'll talk about later in this show, I believe. But he was, he was kicking butt. Uh, I also think, uh, just a quick note, this might have been uh, some of the best performances of uh, Shigehiro Irie's WXW <laughs> career as well, I think, by the end of the weekend. Um, I liked him, didn't love him, but coming out of this weekend, I have a lot more um, respect and appreciation for what Irie uh, brings to the table. Um, yeah. So that side was good, and we'll talk about, uh, probably we'll get a little bit more into the... Uh, the Walter and Timothy Thatcher dynamic as the weekend goes on, because there's a lot to say there. But they were good in this match, and uh, Timmy was kind of his own man in here. Uh, Walter was very much in a full ring cough mode, but apparently uh, they came out to a different theme song. Uh, that was, uh, I think, Tim's new theme song. He's got new uh, Black Flag-inspired tights. He's got, he seems a little bit more enthusiastic during his entrances now few times that we saw him come in so yeah like that that was a very interesting thing uh, to see here so yeah good matches on inner circle really sh- fun show if you're looking for something a little bit smaller scale from wxw from this weekend definitely check out inner circle i believe it was inner circle seven this week uh that past weekend so yeah go check that out uh yeah absolutely uh good show but that just leads us directly into the tournament itself we have night one eight Opening round matches, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's probably enough to say something about each and every one of these. So, man, let's let's go all through them. We start out with Marius Alani, shotgun champion, taking on the returning special guest participant, Axel Dieter Jr. himself. And I got to say, that's a hell of a way to start off a tournament. Uh, this mm-hmm. was the first of many fantastic matches. I really enjoyed it. Um... I will just say this whole weekend really just reminded me that I really wish that Axel Dieter Jr. hadn't gone off to WWE to do literally fuck all. So that, <laughs> that made me sad a little to think of that because he's just as great really as he ever was. Uh, he's awesome. He's, he's a contender to put on classic matches. Uh, he's got a good look. He's got a good little aura, a bit of a character that he can draw upon. I don't know. I just... Uh, I would uh, I would have liked to see more of him in other places, but uh, he is here and he is doing great work. Yes, indeed. I wasn't always Axel Dieter's biggest fan, not because I disliked him necessarily, but he never quite uh, clicked with me until probably the end of his uh, WXW run. Um, but coming back this weekend, everybody was really hot for him, and he was, I don't know, he was really impressive this weekend. I was really feeling pretty much every match he had uh, on these shows, I was mm-hmm. just just head over heels for pretty much everything he did. He looked great here, and Marius Alani unfortunately drawn the short stick here. Um, not going to be an easy test, even as the current reigning Shotgun Champion, to go up against a WXW legend like Axel Dieter Jr. And unfortunately, ends up taking the loss here. But I think the uh, I think the body is going to be uh, fine, especially when you get to uh, some interesting stuff uh, later in the weekend. But he looked good as well. I thought this was a nice pairing of two really athletic. Uh, fun dudes in the ring. Yeah, this was a good one. Axel Dieter Jr. picks up the victory. Uh, yep, as you might expect, uh, WWE's not going to donate a guy to just come in and lose in the first round, I wouldn't think. So, uh, 
knew he was probably going to go on at least once. Um, so, yeah, he did very well. Although I do think, and I don't know, maybe he was doing this before, but I do think he kind of picked up the WWE. Like, at one point, Alani kicked out and Dieter kind of like sat around gaping. And it was like a very WWE thing to me. So, I don't know. That was one thing. I didn't love that. But honestly, the match was so good. I can't even, I can't complain. It was, it was really good. Indeed, indeed. Just two quality guys, but not a quality match. Absolutely. Uh, the second match of the night, we have a very Lucha Underground-inspired contest. It is Phoenix taking on Ray Horace, better known perhaps as uh, Dragon Azteca Jr. Some super Lucha action here. Uh, I gotta say, Ray Horace, probably with the moment of the match, diving out over the turnbuckle and just hitting picture-perfect uh, Phoenix like, way out into the aisle, into the crowd. Just just an awesome little moment there. Uh, mm-hmm. But as great as that moment was, uh, what this match really reinforced to me is what a star Phoenix is from his entrance in this, like, elaborate, I don't know, like, armor. It's like golden get-up or oh, something man. like that. Just yeah, every, Everything he does is just top-notch. Uh, I, I'm a Pentagon guy through and through. But, man, you just take Phoenix and he'll pop in every setting. He's just great. He really is. This match was a lot of fun. Um, this match reinforced your view of Phoenix's stardom. This match, to me, reinforced that uh, Ray Horace is, I think, really, really good as well. He is, mm. doesn't quite get nearly as much praise as, say, Phoenix, Pentagon, Flamita, Bandito. But um, I think Ray Horace is, at worst, maybe like a half step behind those dudes. He's really fun, really energetic. Brings a nice uh, sort of fresh energy to his matches, and he paired up super well with Phoenix here. They had just a couple of really awesome back-and-forth sequences. At one point, he hit some really, like, convoluted, like, back-out-of-a-back suplex spring off the rope into a sunset flip. That just kind of, I don't know, just kind of blew my mind. It was really uh, indicative of sort of the new lucha that has sort of come forth to the forefront since guys like Pentagon and Phoenix really broke out in Lucha Underground Season 1 and then took off from there. So I really like Ray Horace, but Phoenix is Phoenix, maybe one of the top five best wrestlers in the world. I'm just going to go out and say it because that dude is, God, he's so good. There's, there's, There's another match we will talk about later, but this match in particular was just a really fun, fantastic time from two um, really just super talented luchadors. So this was a good one. Another just spectacular fun bout at the beginning of 16 Carat Night 1. Absolutely so. Um, yep, Phoenix indeed advancing, as you might uh, expect. Again, probably a predictable outcome, but a welcome one in my opinion. Third match of the night. Um, I think you probably will have more to say about this than I will. Uh, the match is Shigehiro Irie versus Chris, Chris Brooks. Uh, I thought it was a fine, enjoyable match. I will say these are probably two of the guys coming in that I'm least interested in. So, uh, match probably wasn't directly appealing to me that much. Uh, I did enjoy it. It was fine. Uh, you probably liked it more than I did, though. So, by all means, uh, say all the nice things you probably want to say. See, I'm, I've generally... I like Chihiro Irie and I like Chris Brooks about this weekend, but this one I remember, this was alright. This was fun stuff as well. Right. That didn't really leave a huge impression on me, but yeah, both guys I thought came to, uh, came to play, came to perform, and did a really, uh, solid job in this match, but to me at least not a whole lot to say about this one, though. That might be, uh, more indicative of all the other really ridiculous things that happened on this card than, uh, them two being bad necessarily, so. 
yeah, sometimes things just get lost in the shuffle when you have, like, two or three match of the year contenders on, like, each show. So, yeah, it's just going to happen sometimes. So, yeah, this was this was all right, but uh, not something I'm going to be uh, necessarily phrasing to the high heavens because I have room for – or I don't have too much room for other things to praise because I'm already filled with, with all of the things that I really want to get into. So this was all right. Fair enough. Uh, Irie picks up that victory, moving on along, bringing us to our fourth match in the show. And I got to say, this one, I'm very excited to talk about this one. The match is a rematch from one year ago. First round, 2018, now 2019 as well. Lucky Kid taking on Timothy Thatcher. Can Lucky finally beat Thatcher? Thatcher, we showed that awesome video of his again. He's talking about feeling alienated from uh, RingConf. He's talking about being so motivated to break out in his own, to win 16 carat. Um, man, I just... The moment I knew this match was going to be something above and beyond, very early on, Lucky Kid tries to do, like, his thing, kind of like a goofy, like, mess, mess with you mind games thing where he, like, cl- clamps onto the guy's leg and, like, clambers around and just, like, kind of throws him off guard. Instead of playing the game, like a lot of people are drawn into, Thatcher just grabbed him by the hair, peeled him off, and punched him in the face. And I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. Lily <laughs> Thatcher... Even, like, Thatcher is never there to fuck around, but he, he is, like, in super, super-duper ultra-serious mode tonight. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. this was awesome. Thatcher looked like he was trying to kill Lucky Kid. Uh, the crowd was super hot for this. It, it was gritty. It was urgent. Uh, it really just, I loved it. This is this is probably one of my favorite matches of the whole weekend. Um, and, uh, and amazingly... Lucky Kid actually gets the victory, and uh, I don't—I don't know if anyone would have seen that coming. I, I, you could have guessed it, but I wouldn't have put money on it. Um, and man, just like what an ending! I, I loved everything in this match so much. I was really, really a big fan of this. This definitely is one of the uh, say one of the top two matches from uh, from night one. Um, the main <laughs> event being the uh, the other one, which we'll oh, get yes. to. But this was spectacularly put together. Tim Thatcher was not coming to play around and really neither was Lucky Kid. The thing that really like that moment when he picks him up from the uh, leg grab and just smashes him in the face. Uh, that was really good. But to me, the the big thing that really started to turn this match from just being like a great match into maybe a transcendental match was when Lucky Kid essentially turned into Tim Thatcher for a little bit and just started wailing away on him. Like, you don't really see that too much from Lucky Kid. He's got some uh, high-flying tendencies. He's more of a speed guy, has a little bit of technicality to him. But you don't really see him just just start throwing palm strikes on dudes. And he had had enough of Tim Thatcher bullying him around. He had enough of Tim Thatcher trying to knock him out. He just stood up there and just starts slapping him in the chest a whole bunch of times and eventually caves his chest in and puts him down to his knees. And that was when it was like, oh, okay, we're taking this a step beyond. This is not just Lucky Kid getting actually lucky. This is Lucky Kid bringing the fight to Tim Thatcher. This is Lucky Kid knowing what's on the line, knowing the stakes, both within the tournament and his own personal issues, his own personal desire to beat Tim Thatcher and get over that hump. And I thought that moment in particular was where those things really came together and this match just exploded and became genuinely 
a match of the year contender. And I'm going to say that about like six or seven matches from from this weekend because there was, in my opinion, just some of the best matches you are going to see in this year. Just 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 period. Just throughout this weekend, every time you thought you know dudes had sort of topped themselves, they had reached their sort of zenith, their sort of peak, they would find a way to go even higher. And this was one of the uh, examples of that on night one, I thought. Tremendous match. Never would have picked Lucky Kid to win, but I, I should have known. I should have saw it coming. Should have knew it was going to happen. But, you know, I had Tim Thatcher in the finals, and that was certainly thrown to the wayside by this Lucky Kid victory, and I cannot complain about it at all. This match ruled. Really happy for Lucky Kid. Uh, this is going to be interesting to see where Timothy Thatcher goes from here. Just just phenomenal, fantastic, must-watch bout between these two on night one. Go watch mm-hmm. it if you haven't. I implore you, I beg of you, go watch this match. Absolutely so. It was a great misdirect, I think, and not really in a swervy way, but just to kind of put the focus on Thatcher with the video and with the ring comp stuff. And you, yeah, like, you would easily think that, oh, wow, he's going to go to the final, maybe he's going to win it, like, it's going to kind of be the story of the weekend, but WSW, you know, they're not always predictable, and that's a good thing, and uh, they, they put over this as an upset, but a credible one, and one that uh, really took a lot of people by surprise. Um, mm-hmm. One last moment I want to talk about in this match, at one point, you know, it's it's kind of a trope, a lot of matches, you'll see guys exchanging, like, slaps or forearms or something, they, they did some slaps in this, and it looked like it was just kind of go back and forth, kind of like anything. But then Lucky Kid just kept on, like, slapping. That uh, was, that was one of my favorite moments. Thatcher, like... who is a mountain of a man, was, like, staggering to his knees. And I was, I don't know, there's something about that moment that just really, really stuck with me. Uh, it kind well, of encapsulated those... everything. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where a lot of guys will just they'll slap once or maybe they'll have a chain of slaps or chain of forearms or chain of kicks or whatever. But there's definitely a feeling of like give and take of back and forth. That was not here at that moment when Lucky Kid kept slapping him, you know, like slapped him in the face and Tim Thatcher would, you know, turn around and be like, uh oh, getting really angry. And then he turned back around and instead of getting a chance to, you know, throw another slap himself, Lucky Kid just hit him again. And then hit him again, and then just kept hitting him, and it, it it really sold the intensity of the match. It sold the stakes between these two. It sold you know Lucky's you know fury and rage, and you know that desire to overcome Tim Thatcher. That like I said, he kind of became Tim Thatcher. He kind of you know adopted the sort of strategy Tim Thatcher would probably use in that sort of moment, and just became one hundred percent dead set on defeating him. He was not playing around. He wasn't coming out here to, you know, get silly with it. He was coming out here to win. And that was the moment I think that really, really demonstrated that above all else, just a tremendous match, tremendous moment, tremendous match. Yeah. An absolute classic. I would probably say this match, uh, if it's probably in my top five of this year. And like four of those five are like from this weekend. So <laughs> it's exactly. Just, uh, That's what it's I a mean. very like, special weekend for sure. Uh, all right. Move on to our fifth match, which is, uh, I would assume the conclusion of the year Simmons avalanche rivalry, a falls count anywhere match in the first round, quite intense. Um, uh, 
this was this was fun. I they never maybe had quite the war that I thought maybe they were capable of having, but but if this is as close as they get, it's it's a really good uh, balls count anywhere kind of match. They they brawl all through the back through like some weird like tunnels and concrete rooms and I, I think my favorite thing uh, about this match was Rico Bushido and Andy Jackson on commentary talking about the catacombs of the Turban Hala and how Rico oh. Bushido was like I can't go back there it's not really a, a black dude's place back there just like, oh Jesus <laughs> Rico Bushido is yeah maybe He's one of the we're, stars of this weekend. I'll just have to say that right away. Yeah, on. when we talk um, about ambition, we're going to be spending a lot of time on Rico Bushido. And, I, for I, sure, he will be a, a main point of conversation. Uh, and I, sadly, did not hear that because I watched the show before they added the English commentary. Um, so that, that was uh, uh, too bad that I couldn't hear that. But uh, I guess I can go back and find it now if I need to. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they just fight through, like, a found footage horror movie, basically, <laughs> and uh, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in this. I enjoyed it. Yes, they brawled all around the, the, you know, the backstage catacombs. They're throwing each other into stuff, slamming each other on stuff. Um, at one point, Aaron Simmons finds a kendo stick, and that's really, I think, where the match... Um, it was fun before, but that really started to turn it around into something a little bit more than just fun, especially when they get back and they're just, like, beating each other with it. Yaren uh, Simmons at one point cuts a promo in the middle of the match and basically calls himself God and that he's going to slay the monster of a man and does not do so because Avalanche did not take kindly to that. Avalanche, like, yanks the kendo stick from him and shatters it upon Yaren Simmons just just explodes the thing before eventually finally hitting the Vader bomb, the Dresker bomb off like part of a stage onto the floor. That was really cool. And just like, just crushed Aaron Simmons to pick up the falls count anywhere victory. And well, like uh, Ms. Fan said, maybe they never quite reached the heights. We thought they could in a uh, singles match. This was still an incredibly fun time. Definitely something very different, which I think was a very good call. You know, a lot of these, 16 karat matches, you know, they're going to be intense, but they're going to be very ring focused. And this was definitely not that this was a more fun brawl on the outside. A lot of weaponry uh, introduced here and there, a lot of thrown into walls and hard shots, uh, just something a little bit different to break up the potential monotony of a lot of just straight in ring singles matches. And I appreciated that. And this was a very fun time. Love this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great stuff here. We go Avalanche, uh, Proceeding with that uh, Vader bomb off of a railing out in the crowd, which was cool. I appreciated that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I might have picked uh, Yuren to go over here, but no, I guess I should have known because uh, it's kind of a feud ender, and uh, I think they're going to put the baby face over. So, yeah, nice win for Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Uh, sixth match of the night, Pentagon Jr. taking on Mark Davis. Um I gotta say, this match, I thought it was okay, but it was probably the weakest match of the night for me. Uh, I'm a Pentagon fan, but uh, whenever you go to a promotion that isn't, like, invested in Pentagon, you kind of just get, like, Pentagon the guy who, like, just taunts a lot and, you know, he kind of tries to do all sort of, like, the flippy stuff of other people. And, you know, he's very good at that, uh, but it's uh, it's just not the Pentagon I get most excited about. I, I like that. Mm-hmm depth of character, that aura, that kind of focus that uh, is put on him. I think if you put the right focus on Pentagon, 
he's the biggest star in the world, but if he's just a guy, he he's sort of just a guy. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not that into Mark Davis either. I know I think you're a fan, but uh, I don't know, he's trying to, like, high-five the Sarah Miedo because that's part of his thing. And it's Pentagon, and he's, like, taunting until he gets smacked in the face, which I never – I don't like that, and he, he does that too much. So Pentagon wins, which I think was definitely the way to go. But, yeah, this, this was just okay to me. It wasn't really uh, – compared to everything else, it wasn't that much for me. Um, I definitely feel like I enjoyed this match a little bit more than you did, but okay. specifically because I thought the ending was super good. You know yeah. me. You know how much I love Pentagon's arm breaker, and I love when they sell it as something, you know, very dangerous, and they did that in this match, because the yeah. arm breaker basically led directly into the finish. Um, he, uh, him and uh, Davis are on the ground, he eventually, like, hooks the arm, and he gets it up, hits the arm breaker, then hits the uh, off-the-top rope uh, jumping uh, Canadian destroyer, and then picks up the very solid victory. Um, once again, probably not a match I'm going to talk about super highly in depth, um, not necessarily a match I'm going to tell everybody to go out and go watch right here and now, but really solid finish. Uh, really like these two guys. I think they did better things on the weekend, uh, than this, but I had, I had a time with this one. This was, this was good stuff. Not, not great stuff, not transcendental stuff, but definitely good fun stuff with a, I thought a really good finish. I'm still just, who did you take on? Kenny Omega and they didn't appreciate the arm breaker that still sticks with me to this day. So whenever they, they sell that as actually being like, you know, close to that sort of strength of move. I, I always appreciate it. And they did here, so that was good to me. I mean, yeah, all right. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> okay. Um, sweet. So we move on to seventh match of the night. One that uh, I think another one you may have uh, liked a little more than me uh, is Ilya Dragunov. I don't know. I don't know, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the match is Ilya Dragunov versus Daisuke Sakamoto, which sounds awesome on paper. And I thought it was pretty good. Um, so if match it sounds awesome and it's just pretty good, it's a little bit of a letdown. Um, mm-hmm. My notes just say, these boys hit hard, that's for sure. And then I just wrote about the finish. So kind of like, I don't know, like they hit really hard and they did stuff, but it just didn't grab me as much as I thought maybe it could have. So I don't know why exactly. I don't know if I can articulate it, but... Uh, I, I don't yeah. know. I... I, I love Ilya Dragunov. He's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world today. Uh, Daisuke Sakamoto, I think, always puts on good matches. But I just – I don't know about this match. I don't know what the issue was. I don't know um, what they were doing wrong necessarily, but it was just kind of okay. It was it was an all right match, but nothing – like I said, nothing I'll really write home about. And that's kind of disappointing for two guys who, you know – Daisuke Sakamoto at this point, uh, almost a legend, basically, and Ilya Dragunov certainly strongly on his way to that, already probably a WXW legend. Um, you know, just two really solid, really great performers, I think, and they just only had an all-right match, and that's, uh, I don't know, I think that can be pretty disappointing. I definitely liked, uh, uh, they had better matches on the weekend, I think, for sure. There's at least Both one Ilya Dragunov match that I uh, really loved and uh, one match Daisuke Sakamoto participated in that I also really loved. Um, and they were – neither one of those matches were this match. So this was – this was it happened. It's basically all I can really say about this. They hit hard and they had a match, and that was about it. Yep. But a match that I have a lot to say about is the main event of the night – 
can only be one match. It is Walter taking on David Starr in that storied rivalry. Starr promises to beat Walter, not because he can, not because of anything, except for the mere fact that he needs to for himself. Um, the match starts with incredible urgency, which is one of my favorite things. David Starr attacking Walter before he even takes his ring jacket off. Uh, maybe the spot of this match is also early on as David Starr attempts a tope suicida and Walter dodges and Starr just eats like uh, several rows of chairs in one of the most spectacular crash and burn moments I feel like I've maybe ever seen in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like, holy crap. Um, I must have at some point gotten the English commentary onto night one. Uh, like, I watched part of the show on one day, part of the show on another because I remember commentary for this match was so excellent debating about whether star like whether his intensity was serving him for the positive or whether it was completely undermining him and at different times in the match it looked completely different like the story of this was so layered so up and down back and forth told so well talking about how it's just another match for walter it's not special to him he's able to keep his cool that could be an advantage, or maybe David Starr will be able to overwhelm him. Uh, they go back and forth, and they have just just a spectacular, absolute match that you can't fit. And we get to the finish, and I know that this is going to be a divisive finish. I'm sure already that some people did not care for this. I thought it was incredibly smart, but also a little bit crowd-deflating, so I'm a little bit in the middle. But the finish is... David Starr has Walter down in a submission. Uh, I think the Kajira Clutch, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and Walter, to the shock of everyone, taps out. David Starr lets go of the hold. He's out of his mind. He's, like, crying because he's so happy. And then the camera shifts just slightly, and you see Walter not only has his foot on the ropes, but Walter is also, like, aggressively pointing this out to the referee and, uh, and I don't know, just the way it was done is so perfect. It's not like Walter passed out, but he also, like, accidentally put his foot on the rope. No, he put his foot on the rope deliberately and then tapped out specifically to fool David Starr into letting go of the hold, which is not exactly cheating, but it's a little bit dirty. It's a little bit sneaky. Uh, David Starr doesn't know what's happened. He can't hear a word because he thinks he's just finally accomplished this thing. And Walter just, just gloms onto him from behind. And uh, that's it. There's no way David Starr can get out. Walter officially wins the match again. Oh man, this was so great to me. The promo after is great, but let's talk about the match first. Tell me, my friend, did you feel the same way about this? Absolutely. This was Another very intense match, another match with a lot of history behind it. Um, this was just a a spectacular, once again, another must-watch match of the year contender level match from night one of, of 16 Carat. David Starr brought his A game, Walter brought his Walter game, and they created, I thought, some just real magic in this ring. David Starr... Just firing on all cylinders, and whether that was going to be good for him or bad for him, 
it, it basically didn't matter. He did not care about, you know, like his own well-being. He did not care about, you know, what he had to do. He was going to sit there and do it. He was going to dive headfirst outside the ring and eat seven rows of chairs if it meant trying to bring down Walter for a fraction of a second. He was going to throw lariats. He was going to do everything in his power. He was just going to just just take every trick out of his playbook, every trick out of Walter's playbook. You know, he's going to use the Gojira clutch. He's going to do German suplexes. He's going to do everything that he can, everything he could possibly think of to defeat Walter. And it was just, you know, this great intense back and forth that you know these two for. And the finish, I was 100% in love with. And to me, that's what really um, elevated this match to match of the year contender level. Not that it wasn't there before, but if you wanted something to solidify that opinion, I think this finish was it. You have David Starr using Walter's own hold against him, trying to get him down here, have him tap out. Walter actually tapping out, but with a plan. He wasn't just tapping out to, you know, to tap out. He wasn't just tapping out because he was done. You know, he had his foot underneath the ropes, and he knew that, so he tapped out and then pointed it out to Tosilo Young to show him, you know, yeah, but, you know, I was I was underneath the ropes. I That doesn't count. Um, taking advantage of David Starr's, you know, just incredulousness after finally having done it, or at least in his mind having done it, and then just absolutely enveloping him with his own submission to pick up the victory. And the fans, you know, chanting, you tapped out, you know, fans turning on Walter a little bit, uh, which would really be the story of the weekend, I think, once we get all the way down to it. Um, yeah, this was a a story from start to finish. This was not just a match. This was a genuine story in the ring and it was a spectacular one i thought just just incredible awe-inspiring work from these two dudes that really i think has to be seen to be believed if you followed any of the walter david star rivalry if you know anything about their past you have to watch this one you just have to um once again didn't go the way i was thinking um, I had said the finals were going to be uh, Timothy Thatcher versus David Starr, and both of these guys lose in round one, um, immediately opening up any amount of possibilities uh, for not just the final two, but the actual winner of 16 Carat. And and it, I for both of these matches, I don't think it was done in a very poorly thought out way. I don't think they just kind of swerved for the sake of swerving. I don't think they just kind of, you know just did whatever they felt like. They had a plan, WXW did, and they were going to execute that, and I thought they did really well with these two matches in particular of kind of taking what you thought might be happening, you know, looking into the way you might believe something's going to go and flipping it on its head in a really um, respectable but also just a really cathartic and fun way. Um, This match was just incredible, but it also sets up so much stuff. Because now you have Walter kind of embracing a more heelish side, I'd say, uh, which we'll once again talk about throughout the rest of the the shows. You had David Starr being able to say, even if Walter, you know, did intentionally do it to free himself, you do have David Starr with the ability to say that he made Walter tap out, that he had Walter on the ropes, that he arguably did beat Walter. He has the ability to say that, at least a little bit. 
And, you know, that's going to be interesting for their dynamic going forward. Now, what does David Starr do? We'll talk about on that on night two. But, you know, now you kind of have to see where is he going to go from here? What is he going to do? What is he going to have to do to finally, finally, actually, fully conquer the beast that he cannot beat in Walter? So, ah, that was really good. The perfect main event. The only match that really could be the main event of night one. And it was just... Oh, it was breathtaking. It was really good. Just, oh, just just cannot say enough high-quality things about this match. Just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yeah, all that and more. Oh, what an end to night one. Before we move on to night two, we got to talk about the little tournament alongside the tournament, and that is Ambition, the shoot style. Um... I don't know if it's invitational or how they even pick the people for this. I thought it was a weird crop of people this year, honestly. Um, like, very random compared to, like, the past few that I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people who are, like, not even actually on this weekend at all, except for Ambition. Um, but, yeah, there's only two things mainly that I want to talk about. And the first one, as you alluded to, is Rico Bushido just being like the star of this tournament. Like I thought by an enormous margin, I didn't even know Rico was a wrestler or it sounded uh, like he was sounded like he was, uh, some of the commentary notes that he made during like night two and night three seemed to indicate that he had been an actual pro wrestler or even working with WXW at some point, I believe I I don't don't And yeah, like he's wrestled sporadically for, for quite a few years. Uh, I don't know I why don't know so why sporadically. He, he looks like he's in great shape. He is very charismatic. I don't know. He was a lot of fun to watch in this tournament. Um, I gotta say, overall, the Ambition tournament, uh, I really liked last year's, and this year's, I don't know. It, it didn't grab me as much um, for, for a I, variety I really of think reasons. Part of that Rico was the, uh... was great. The final with Shigehiro Ishiro was really enjoyable as far as the tournament itself goes. Yeah, that was my thought. Yeah, um, definitely a very weird crop. I thought a, I feel like I would have liked the crop more if some of these guys like A-Kid and Chris Ridgeway had actually been like in the tournament itself. Because like those Chris two in particular though, feel so like... didn't help me either. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. It kind of feels like, you know, I, I, I've... Shoot style isn't necessarily my favorite style, but uh, the way WXW tends to do it, like on these ambition shows, is for me a lot of fun. There's a little bit of a, like, they're serious, but there's also, like, a slight, like, lightheartedness to some of the stuff they do, where they're, like, you know, they'll they'll do something to somebody, like, oh, Jesus Christ, I didn't mean to do that, I'm really sorry, like, that happened, like, <laughs> multiple times throughout, where they, like, you know, kick a dude out of the ring at one point, uh, Rico Bushido versus, what was his name, Punch Drunk Istria? Istria, uh, yeah, AJ Istria, Istria. like, uh-huh. tries to, like, separate himself after a rope break from uh, uh, Rico, and, like, essentially with his legs, shoves Rico out of the ring, and you can see him immediately get up and be like, oh, crap, I did not mean to do that. Uh, I'm really sorry. I'm so, this is, I didn't mean help, please. Like, there are just moments like that, and everybody seems to really be in there trying to have, like, having serious matches and competitive matches, but also they seem to be having, like, a real amount of fun by the time these matches are all said and done. There's something about that that's really appealing to me. Um, but I definitely thought very weird crop of dudes this year, other than Rico Bushido and Shigehiro Irie. I don't think any of these dudes like competed at all during other parts of the weekend. 
Um, it was cool to see, like I said, Aiken and Chris Ridgeway here. Um, I don't think I recognized anybody else. Don't I think it was those four, and then a whole bunch of people like, oh, and Veit Muller. Veit Muller was here, too. He lost in the first round to uh, Rico Bushido, and that might have been uh, uh, one of my favorite first-round matches. Actually, probably my, was my favorite. That, first round. Uh, yeah, that was one of the best ones in the whole tournament, I thought, honestly. So, kind of wish uh, Veit Muller had been around for more matches, because <laughs> that would have probably improved the tournament a, a little bit, I thought. Uh, so, yeah. But for the most part, um, as Ms. Fan said, the highlight was Rico Bushido, who was like in shape, charismatic, cool as hell. Uh, really enjoyed seeing him do his thing. He seems like he's got a whole bunch of like a striker's mentality, and he's, like, doing, like, jumping kicks just to show off that he can. Rigo Bushido is cool as hell. Yeah. Um, I always thought he was kind of, like, I like him on commentary, but on commentary, he's never cool. He's kind of like a goofy kid in a candy shop, <laughs> which is, like, you know, it's great in and of itself, but then you compare, like, commentary Rico, who's just, like, losing his mind over everything, and then cool, suave, Mr. 420 suave Rico Bushido, and it's, like, two completely different people, and it's wonderful, so... I don't know why he doesn't wrestle more. If maybe he just enjoys doing commentary. Maybe he only enjoys, you know, coming out every once in a while to do some uh, wrestling or shoot style or whatever. But I would really enjoy seeing him in the ring more often because he yep. was a treat and a highlight of ambition. Yes, yeah, super fun. Super fun. Uh, but in my opinion, the true highlight of ambition was the super fight. It was Timothy mm-hmm. Thatcher taking on Yuki, Yuki Ishikawa. In a match that I believe Thatcher specifically, like, really, really wanted to have. Like, he requested it, I do believe. They didn't talk about uh, There's no commentary on Ambition, but I think they talked about it on night three. How Yuki Ishikawa, who is the founder of uh, Battle Arts, which is a shoot-style promotion in Japan, or was, rather. I don't believe it's active anymore. But uh, uh, how that promotion really not just influenced Timothy Thatcher's life, but really changed it entirely, because when he experienced this... It really changed the path that he was taking in his life. It changed uh, the kind of person he wanted to be. Maybe even brought him into wrestling in the first place in this particular brand of wrestling and uh, led him to kind of be this this sort of performer that just stands out as being so different from everyone, so authentic in the ring. Uh, Very cool that they got to have a match like this. And on top of that, I thought they absolutely knocked it out of the park. I thought this was fantastic. Yes, indeed. Just the back and forth between these two. Um, I think one of the big, like, the, the moment of the match for me was at one point, um, like, they're grappling on the ground, and if I remember correctly, Thatcher was just, like, you know, out of nowhere, out of the, just two sort of scrounging on the ground, manages to snap on a cross arm breaker that forces uh, Ishikawa into the ropes, like, to immediately break, and you could hear the audience you no, know, with this just verbal, ooh, like, oh boy, that could have been the finish right there. That was really close. And something about that just sticks out in my mind as having been like, like, that's the sort of thing, like, shoot style has to its advantage, I think, is that, uh, there's genuinely a sort of feeling that, you know, if you do the right thing at the right time, you can just sort of end the match at any given moment. And mm-hmm. I think the fans, like, watched and understood that. And like the, just that simple moment of like guy snaps on an arm breaker, other guy gets to the ropes to break it up and the fans just like reacted the way they did was like, you know, that to me is what makes uh shoot style particularly like special. 
Um, I'm not I'm not its biggest fan, not its biggest uh, proponent, um, but there are things that you can do with that style, within that style, that just make it stand out, and that was one of them. Uh, however, I do have one, exactly one complaint about this match. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you will have the same complaint. You probably should. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But um, at one point, um, this, this made me cringe. This made me very unhappy. Um, Yuki Ishikawa, like the two of them are on the ground. I think they had like leg locks on. They've grabbed each other and they're kind of in sitting positions, like all leg crossed and everything. Ishikawa grabs uh, Timothy Thatcher, rears back, and head on head headbutts him. Mm, yeah, and I definitely noticed that. That was. Um, thankfully, the rest of the match involved no such things, and everything else seemed very, very fine and good. But yeah, just for the, that particular uh, moment, I was like, "Oh, I hate that. That's really." Yeah, I noticed that. I think he did it also in um, the inner circle match, and yeah, I, I am a huge um, detractor of anything like that, especially now in this post Shibata world that we always talk about that we have. Guess what? Guys who do that cripple themselves, so don't do that. But. Uh, I guess you could just say uh, it was obviously done very sparingly. It was not done in such a way that it was like brain annihilating impact uh, like mm-hmm. we have seen in the past from much more unsafe people. So I didn't, I didn't, uh, it didn't like uh, annihilate my interest in the match, uh, but mm-hmm. I definitely noticed it. And yes, it was very not good. So yeah, just don't headbutt, especially skull to skull because it doesn't make the match better and it's really bad for you. So that. That is my personal advice as a fan to all wrestlers. There you go. Indeed, indeed agreed. All right, yeah, so that, that pretty much does it for Ambition. Um, like I said, it's definitely a tournament I do like. I've never liked it more in previous years. I don't know, like, when I watched the last Ambition, and maybe the one before that, I was watching it, and I'm like, man, are these guys, like, I feel like they're half-shooting or something, like, for real. Like, they're just uh, sort of going out there, seeing what happens. You know, just, like, making sure they don't really actually hurt each other. But they're just sort of, like, testing themselves out, and that's cool. And I thought this tournament, it kind of had more, like, pro wrestling moments. And I guess that's a weird critique, because we're watching pro wrestling. We love pro wrestling. But I don't know. There was just something, um, it didn't feel like they were trying to do shoot style very hard sometimes. And, uh, you know, because, like, I think it was Chris Ridgway is in there, and he's doing, like, like, bog standard forearm strike exchanges with people he's like instigating this like very very pro wrestling looking stuff and it just uh i don't know it didn't do it for me as much it's still fun overall i feel like uh they've had better tournaments in the past and uh, yeah i don't know in the past they had like they had guys like thatcher they had like mike bailey they had uh mary salani like these guys who were like bobby guns in there i believe last year the year before that more guys that you're like yeah i believe this guy is like a shooter like i want to know what he can do in there and this year yeah so just like a random group of people. So, I don't know. Not quite as good, but still fun. It, like, A-Kid was there, and I know A-Kid is like a kind of yeah. high-flying dude when he was teaming White Wolf in a King of Trios a few years back, so let he me, was here. Let me and... just say that a second also. If you have A-Kid, don't just book him for a first-round loss in your Ambition tournament. Holy crap, like, put this man in one of your random, like, six-man tags that you throw on these other shows. Like, dang. A-Kid is very good, so use A-Kid if you have him, for heaven's sake. Please, please yeah. do. In fact, just just continuously book some of those White Wolf uh, dudes, because I think uh, him and uh, Carlos Romo are, like, breaking out and doing fun sure, things. Sure, yeah, like, I could have thrown him in the tag title match or something, man. I would have... Something, I please. About it. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. 
Um, all right, yeah, so we move right on to night two then. Um, I'm not going to talk necessarily about every match on the card, so just tell me if I skip something that you really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing I have on my notes is the star promos. I think there was a match before that, a women's tag match. Perfectly good. Didn't really have anything to say about it. You? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, I did really like uh, Tony Storm kind of refreshing as a heel in this match, yeah. team with Vesna to take on uh, you and uh, Killer Kelly. Um, you and Killer Kelly, the same chemistry they have as singles opponents, they have as tag team workers. And yeah, this was just a a fun time. Um, you and Killer Kelly, the uh, stars of this match, I thought. Definitely so. Moving on. Um, I forgot to talk about this, so I'm glad Star came up so we can talk about him again. Uh, after, like at the very end of night one, like after kind of, maybe they even ran the credits or something before this, but like after everything kind of seemed to be done, David Star came up to the English commentary section, to where Rico Bushido and, what's his name, Alan, somebody... Alan Hulahan. Yeah, uh, is up there. He comes up there, and he cuts just this brilliant promo, where he comes off as both, like, very justified, and also, like, completely unhinged. And it was, like, a genuinely uncomfortable promo, and it is so rare to get that in pro wrestling, because he's up there, and he's, like, losing his mind a little bit, and he's just, like... he's overwhelmed by everything that's happened. He says, Walter, he tapped out. And even he's like stumbling over his words. He's like, I know, I know that he won the match. Don't tell me that. He's like yelling at the commentators. He he can't even justify in his own mind. Like, did he win or lose? He's in like this weird in-between place that is even more torturous than if he had just lost cleanly. And uh, he, he says, if Walter doesn't care, about this rivalry, like you are always saying, and he's like really getting after uh, Alan, I for, whatever you said his last name was, I forgot already, but just, uh, he's like, you always say this, you always say, oh, Walter doesn't care, he's so detached, but then why is he doing all of these these tricks to, to stay ahead of me? He knows what he's doing to me, he's saying that he's robbed, and it's just this brilliant promo did, did you see this do you know what i I'm did talking? not i oh, heard man. like i watched night two and i think there was like a little clip of this happening that i was not like aware oh, of so watch i the full promo was, yes oh, i will brilliant. definitely go back to watch this because this sounded in particular very intense and very uh dramatic and very meaningful so definitely want to go back and see that um so on night two then star comes out much much cooler head uh, apologizes for his conduct in that interview. He says every time he comes to wrestle, he gives everything he's got. Last night was no different, but now he can't stand to stay around and wrestle on any of these like sideshow, side feature matches. He came here to do two things. Now he can't do either of them. And of course, we know he was here to beat Walter and win 16 carat. Now that both are out the window, he says he apologizes. He will not be wrestling on any of the rest of the weekend. And he's very cool about all this, but it's sort of, it starts getting to him again because it's so far under his skin. It's so deep in his mind. He starts getting agitated again and he just can't let it go because he knows that Walter tapped out and Walter knows that he tapped out and he calls Walter a sellout. And he says, it doesn't matter where you go. Cause he won't get away from me. I will beat you, Walter. Uh, another really good promo, David Starr. Man, I've liked David Starr for a long time, especially in WXW in this kind of role where he's chasing Walter, where he's the babyface. It's so good for him. And man, I, he's he's better than ever. He could end up being 
the best promo, the best character of this whole year if he keeps this up. He he really can be, and um, this was another really good one. You could just see his emotions sort of creep up on him throughout this promo, and mm-hmm. then by the end he is just raging hellfire, just furious about having lost, and like as you said, vows that one day he is going to defeat Walter. It does not matter where he goes. It doesn't matter what he does. David Starr will find him, and David Starr will beat him at some point. And the fans were all about this. Like, they were super into it. Uh, they, they want to see Walter get toppled by David Starr. They want to see uh, Starr finally put him down, finally defeat him. And they know he tapped out as well. There's, just, there's a lot of good layers and a lot of good uh, um, additions to this rivalry thanks to that match. And this promo helped uh, add even further to it. So when they finally do get another match, when Walter finally does lose to David Starr, which has to happen at some point, has to, just has to. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, I'm going to be ready for it. I'm going to be excited for it. And uh, I just can't wait. Can't wait for more stuff. Mm, Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, it's, uh, It's a very organic feud, and both guys are putting it over beautifully right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, next match I have notes on is uh, Pentagon taking on Ilya Dragunov. Did I skip anything? Is there anything important? Um, I might have skipped one of the semifinal or one of the quarterfinals here. Now that I think of it, must not have interested me that much. Uh, who did Avalanche beat? Avalanche beat Shigehiro Irie, I believe. Yes, I, after I, this it, match is another match I didn't have. A whole lot to say about. I thought it was. See, fun. I like I like that match. I thought it was a really good Haas fight. I did like uh, Avalanche picking up the the victory there. I just kind of liked seeing both of these dudes like throw each other around and run into one another. Um, this was one of a. Uh, I thought Shigeru. I didn't really talk about him a whole lot during Ambition, but I thought he did uh, had some really fun performances there and really came yeah. to uh, life in there. That really uh, kind of turned me around on him. Um, he just, I don't know, he just seemed like a lot of fun and ambition, and this match in particular with Avalanche was, I thought, another really good one. Just two huge dudes bullying each other, throwing each other around, um, running into one another at high speeds. Um, uh, just just a good hoss fight between these two. Really enjoyed that one. Uh, not necessarily... There were two other matches on this show. Uh, three other matches on this show, I should probably say. Four other matches. Jesus Christ, there was a lot of things on <laughs> night two that were worth talking about. Really were. There were like four matches. Damn. Anyway. Yeah. Uh huh. But you know that once again, kind of unfortunate for uh, Irie and uh, Avalanche's time. They had a good match. They had a match I enjoyed, but there were literally four other matches on this card that I have to talk about yeah. ahead of that one because that was so good. For sure. Mm-hmm. But so it goes, like you said. Just uh, it's going to happen when you have a really talented bracket of guys here. So yeah, match that I want to talk at least a little bit about. Pentagon Jr. versus Ilya Dragunov in another quarterfinal match. It's a very weird dream match of sorts, but I am definitely here for it. I thought they did uh, really well together. I was impressed uh, by both. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I have a lot of specific stuff to say. Just really had a good time watching this. Sort of a weird combination, but I really like it. Yes, indeed. Two super unique characters, and I thought they played off each other super, super well mm-hmm. in this match. Um, and that, that, that's really just all there is to say about this match. Not not in a bad way, kind of like the Daisuke 
uh, Ilya match where just like they hit each other hard. This was just two super unique dudes, two super unique and intense characters um, being super unique and super intense throughout this match and just laying into one another. And for whatever reason, their chemistry worked a lot better in this one than in Ilya or uh, Pentagon's uh, first round matches. And they just had what I thought was just something really spectacular and special between these two. This was a, a, a lot of fun. Two of my favorite dudes in the world, and they really went out there and kind of proved why they're kind of the upper echelon talents in the wrestling world today. This was just just a lot of fun, and Ilya picks up the victory, which I I, I kind of figured would happen, but was also still a little bit of a shock just because it's you know it's Pentagon. But I thought they brought out a lot of good stuff between one another, and yeah, just just another fun match, uh, really fun match, really special match between. I think two of the fastest rising stars of the modern uh, wrestling world. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. good shit. Yep. Uh, my only complaint that I have is after the match, after uh, Ilya has been victorious, Pentagon sticks around to like respect Ilya and like raise his hand. And uh, that is so not Pentagon to me. That is just uh, another example of Pentagon becoming just another guy in a promotion that is not really invested in like making a character out of him. So not not my favorite, not not a deal breaker or anything, but uh, I just feel like it's a bit of a waste of Pentagon having being in there and just kind of being nice like anybody would. Like, why do you even have an evil ninja skeleton if he's just going to be sportsman-like? <laughs> this is true, but also he's he's not always an evil ninja skeleton. Sometimes well, he he's just <laughs> a ninja skeleton. <laughs> or at least, like, a mean-spirited ninja skeleton. He doesn't have to be actually evil. But you shouldn't be nice, okay? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh well, it was still it was still a very good match, great match, honestly. Um, next thing I have notes on: uh, there is a four-way match: Ray Horace versus Julian Pace versus Daisuke Sakamoto versus Chris Brooks. Uh, Actually, take, let me take that back. That makes it five matches that I had to talk about <laughs> over uh, Irie and uh, Irie and Mark Davis or Avalanche, I should say, because this one I had an absolute blast with i don't know about you but i really enjoyed this four-way uh, i thought it was very fun i really noted it for what happened after the match but if you want to talk about the match itself yeah it was a very fun match i would agree i, I don't know this is this was for this was a uh, dice case better performance i thought he uh yes he felt way more natural in this match as kind of being the base for the three more uh high-flying dudes it was uh him <laughs> Uh, Ray Horace, Julian Payson, it was Kyle Fletcher, correct? No, Chris Brooks. No, Chris, Chris Brooks. Brooks. If it were Kyle Fletcher, yeah. we'd be having a different conversation. Yes, yeah, so it probably would. <laughs> yeah. probably would. Um, oh, I think Kyle, no, Kyle Fletcher was in the, uh, the inner circle uh, four-way match that also had Julian Payson. That's why I got them confused. Anyway, there you go. Um, this match was just very hectic. Chris Brooks like constantly shifting alliances throughout this match. Um, to me, this was also just the Julian Pace show. By the end Man, of how good has he gotten? Like, I've always liked Julian Pace, just kind of like for the cheesy gimmick. But man, he's getting really good. He's going to be, I think, uh, a bigger name in WXW this year. Yeah, he is just he's he's a tremendous amount of fun. Like he's picked up a lot of fun, unique stuff. He's got a lot of character to him. Like he he does the running thing, obviously, because he's a Mr. Valgas Accelerate. Um, but. Like, I don't know, he's just got he's got this kind of fun attitude and personality that he displays in the ring, kind of a go-getter, happy-go-lucky, but, like, trying really hard and doing everything he can. I don't know, he's just a lot of fun to watch, and he ends up picking up the victory against 
three other dudes who are genuinely much larger names in scale than Julian Pace is. And he didn't feel out of place. He didn't feel like, you know, WXW shunted their own guy in there to be like, all right, we need somebody in there. No, he felt very much right at home alongside Chris Brooks, Ray Horace, and Dice K. Sekimoto. And I don't know if there's a whole lot of talents who aren't on, like, the upper echelon who can really say that. But Julian Pace, I thought, absolutely, like, earned his spot in this match. He was um, a definite highlight of this match. And ultimately, like I said, picks up the victory. And that was just really cool. Like, um, one of the big reasons I've kind of stuck with WXW was not necessarily for, like, the big-name talents that they were bringing in when we watched... uh, uh, 16 karat gold and like some of the tag leagues the first time we watched WXW. I really stuck around because I liked a lot of the homegrown talent and seeing exactly. some of the unique names that you don't get to see anywhere else. And Julian Pace is exactly that type of dude. And it was just great to see, um, you know, having followed the guy for, you know, a couple of months, last few, like six, eight months that we've been able to see him doing stuff in WXW, uh, maybe even longer than that, but just being able to see his growth and be able to see him, uh, you know, come so far as to be able to compete in the ring with these three guys, like effortlessly, flawlessly, looking like he belongs, and ultimately pick up the victory against one of these dudes, was just something very incredible. It's uh, so, it's very similar to the feelings I have with like Dragon Gate's young roster and seeing guys like Ben K and Shun Skywalker and Kaito Ishida come into their own. Same thing with like Chikara's roster and being able to see Solo Darling and Travis Huckabee and the two young ants and the Cyberhawks and Crumbles and Defarge and those guys um, just elevate their game and get to higher and higher levels. Like I, I really appreciate that when it comes to the feds that I watch, when it comes to the companies that I check out is being able to watch those younger or less experienced talents uh, develop themselves over the months and the years. So big ups to Julian Pace on the victory here, a great match, a fun match. Uh, like I said, he, he stood his ground against three other world-class talents, and I thought everybody was doing a really great job here, but Julian Pace picking up the well-deserved victory for him, maybe the biggest victory of his young career so far. Good on him. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, Strongly want to co-sign that one of the best things about WXW is how they grow a lot of talent from scratch and uh, give them great characters and give them a chance to develop and shine. Love that. Um, after the match, though, as I said, the main reason I put this in my notes is because after the match, something strange happens. Julian Pace, who has just won the match, is leaving victoriously when eerie music begins to play and the lights start to flash and someone appears. It's a shadowy figure in a hood. We don't know. Turns out it is Emil Satoshi who has come out to beat the living crap out of Julian Pace, and for what reason? Well, we can't say for sure, but the last time we saw him was at the end of last year, where he walked out on Avalanche and seemingly out of the company. Um, he said he was so a, upset that everybody, all of his other friends were getting signed, all of his other, like, you know, everybody else was doing bigger and better things than he was, and this upset him, this saddened him, this angered him, it seems, and he just shook his head, and he said, I can't do this, um, I cannot be here like doing this so avalanche you are on your own and he walked off in like november december and we have not seen him since yep till night two 
left in a very dark mood and came back uh, a much darker man, it seems. Uh, I really like the presentation of this. I could definitely be down for Julian Pace, Emil Satoshi feud. Um, yeah, I've liked Emil Satoshi every time I've seen him since uh, since we started watching. So mm-hmm. show me more of this guy. Show me what he can do. I know he's been around a long time. I remember uh, seeing him in really old Chikara shows where he was like rail thin but had these like protruding ab muscles that were really <laughs> freaky. Um, and yeah, if now, I recall uh, correctly, well he was also supposed guy. to be a uh, a member of the Wrestling Retribution, Wrestling Revolution project. Um, that never happened. Oh, it was man. very weird. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he was he was booked to be a part of that. So dude's been around, and he's still very, I think, a fun talent to watch. Um, he had kind of been mostly known as a heel, and then kind of turned face with the Dragon stuff last year, and then. Looks like he's going back to his more uh, established roots as a uh, villain, but very darker, nasty twist. He hits uh, Julian Pace here with like two spinning tombstone pile drivers and just decimates him for reasons unknown, but definitely fueled most likely by that anger and darkness and despair that he felt towards the end of last year. So, whew, I, I, I'm, I'm amped about this. It was a really cool looking presentation for him. Um, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't even think about, yeah, that he's kind of been a heel. I, I knew he was like a long time ago. He's kind of like a cocky guy, but I don't know. He's fit really well into sort of like the benevolent veteran who kind of like helps out other people. So it's a good fit mm-hmm. for him. But yeah, I think uh, this will be very interesting as well. Mm-hmm. We move on to. What may be the match of the weekend, I'm not sure. It's it's tough between, like, three or four matches, but it's right up there in the conversation. It is Walter taking on Phoenix, and that's a hell of a dream match just on paper. But, man, this, wow, this match. Walter ripping up Phoenix's mask so bad that it's literally, like, flying off his head. A fan like, has three to, like, different times a new mask to Phoenix to like put on in the middle of the match. That was like, wow. Just that alone is uh, really memorable. But yeah, just uh, you think about these two guys and everything they could do together. And yeah, they pretty much did it. Like the incredible power of Walter, the incredible uh, agility and speed of Phoenix, man, they put everything together here. Whew. Yeah, this was, this was an absolute classic. This was this is arguably match of the weekend, match of the year contender for mm. sure. I think I'm going to be talking yeah. about this one for a long time. This is Same. two of, you, you know, here on the global revolution, we love Walter and we love Phoenix almost to death, basically. And to see the two of them get in the ring one-on-one with each other during a tournament, like 16 karat gold, basically you're basically booking directly to us for that sort of like appeal. So that was great. Um, you know, the, the emotional moments involving the mask were really good. Walter sort of turning on the uh, the heat in this match and really getting people against him and for Phoenix was also really good. I think one of the best things about this match, I don't know if you watched this one with English commentary or not, but um, early on in the match, Alan is talking about, you know, Phoenix, you know, this is not a guy like Walter, you know, is really going to be able to do a whole lot about because he presents a very different and unique problem that Walter doesn't usually have to face. You know, how is he going to contend with the uh, the lucha stylings and the high flying and the high speed that Phoenix brings? And early on, is basically looking exactly like that. Like Phoenix had kind of found maybe a chink in the Walter armor, 
and I don't remember quite what the sequence was, but it was like he had him kind of in like a wrist lock, was doing some stuff on the ropes, and Walter basically said, no, I'm not dealing with that, and just like decimated Phoenix, and Alan on commentary is immediately like, well, I was wrong, never mind, I should not have doubted Walter, there is nothing anybody can do to stop him, it doesn't matter who they are, they're just not going to topple the the monstrous man that is Walter, and I was just like, yeah, exactly, great, this is, yes, good, I don't know, that, that moment just sticks out to me, great moment on commentary, great moment in the match, just really elevated everything, Two guys just giving it their all, and Walter at his absolute most monstrous, just just decimating uh, Phoenix at times. And Phoenix was trying his heart out in this match, and there were a few times where I thought he might pull it off, but no, no, no. The only thing getting pulled off in this match was Phoenix's mask by Walter, and that's actually cost him the match. Walter, like, ripped his mask off while he was in a submission hold and forced him to tap out so he could get his mask back on. And yes. that was, like, the Thank worst you. thing a human being can do in a wrestling ring against a luchador is remove their mask to force them to, like, have to give up whatever is happening. Like, that it was just – it's so awful, but it's not cheating, at least not under WXW's system. Like, it's not cheating. It's not illegal. He has all the right in the world to do it if he wants. But it's so mean-spirited and lowbrow and – you know, very much at odds with what we've seen from, like, Ringkampf and Walter over the past several months. It's just, it's... it's well, I don't know. It is and it isn't. And that's part of what's interesting to me, because through all of this tournament, Walter, he does things that are just a little bit shady, maybe maybe not entirely sportsmanlike, but they're all completely legal. You know, there's absolutely no rule, at WXW at least, against any of the stuff that he's doing. So... I feel like you can very easily, like, this is Walter, you know, he's all about uh, competition and, uh, you know, like, sportsmanlike conduct, and uh, I don't know, like, if you're obeying all of the rules, are you still being sportsmanlike? Maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know, but that that's that was an interesting additional layer, I thought, to uh, kind of everything that was going down here. Absolutely uh, agreed there, but, God, the fans did not appreciate it at all throughout the weekend. And that I think was also a very interesting layer. Walter being sort of the face and the ace of WXW currently. And he is just getting booed and, you know, not enjoyed against pretty much everybody he faced this weekend. And every time he did something, you know, slightly heelish, every time he did something that was slightly uh, mean spirited, people just were not into it. And that was, you know, a very interesting dynamic that, you know, was at play throughout the weekend. And, yeah, in regards to this match, just another just phenomenal match, another phenomenal bout. It's it's Phoenix, it's Walter. If you know us, you know what to expect from them. They were great, you know, top of their games. Just an just an extraordinary match with a lot of different moving pieces in here throughout everything, especially with uh, the mask work that was at play. Just just a masterclass match, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the best matches I have seen this year, a match that you should certainly seek out and enjoy because it was wonderful. Indeed. Um, and as I think you said on Twitter, the next match was almost very nearly in that same league. Uh, the match is Lucky Kid versus Axel Dieter Jr. 
And yeah, I, Lucky Kid, he's just so hot right now. He's doing such phenomenal work. Dieter came back. He's looking awesome, just like I was saying. This was another great one. Another just fantastic match. I love this one as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, I think this was the match where I noticed some of those more WWE-isms from Axel Dieter Jr. Mm. when uh, he could not put away Lucky Kid, but I thought it worked to the benefit of this match because Lucky Kid, uh, by the end of this match, actually picks up the victory over Axel Dieter Jr. in a hotly contested back-and-forth uh, very similar to, but not exactly the same to the Timothy Thatcher match of Axel Dieter just kind of bullying him around, but yeah, Lucky Kid not really having it, standing up for himself, um, not really playing around here to win, here to you know pick up victories against you know he's trying to get to the finals. It's not I showed up here and I'm just happy to be in 16 karat. No, Lucky Kid was very much in the mood of I have to win this thing they keep putting me up against guys who are like huge names not just in wxw but around the world and i am not going to take a back step to them at all and he brought it to axel dieter jr and it was just who was a sight to behold i'd say um god this was another really really good one just 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 really amped up about this match on Twitter, another just just match of the year contender, you're like you know, great match from this weekend. God, it was so good. Lucky kid, like I said, picks up the victory, and afterwards, Axel Dieter is like he's shocked, he's almost appalled that this happened, but he has to give Lucky Kid his props. He shakes his hand afterwards, and he points to the you know 16 karat gold sign, and said, "That's you got to do this now. You have to win." And Lucky Kid, you know, nearly breaking down in tears multiple times throughout this tournament. Looking like, you know, he can't believe what has just happened himself. And, God, this was so good. Love this one. Just just, just love this to bits. Good stuff. Good fucking stuff. Ha. Absolutely so. Yeah, lucky kid going over again. Um, and, yeah, just a great presentation. I agree with him the whole the whole way through, really. Um, next match I have notes on is a match for the Tag Team Championships of WXW. It is uh, Rise and JFK, and also Aussie Open. And I'll just say, a lot of it's just Kyle Fletcher, but I'm not really that into Aussie Open. Like, Mark Davis, he's pretty good. I don't like Kyle Fletcher, like I've talked about. Um, yeah, I don't oh, know. Here's Mark one Davis thing did we, slam we... both JFK's, JFK guys at once, and that was pretty cool, so I'll give him that at least. I, I will say one of the things that actually upset me. We didn't talk about this at Inner Circle, mm. but it was uh, Kyle Fletcher... That's what it was. It wasn't Kyle Fletcher in the four-way match. It was Kyle Fletcher versus... Yearn Simmons. Yearn Simmons. And they were still doing the heavyweight thing uh, in that yeah, match. Yeah, more of the same baloney. I'm just, man, no way. Yeah, ah, I can't no. do it. Have you seen Yearn Simmons? You, <laughs> Have you I'm, seen yourself, Kyle Fletcher? Ah, <laughs> oh, so now I'm getting mad again. I got a 16-karat cold weekend. Except I'm going to get mad again because... Ozzy Open beat Rise for the titles. Yeah, that was, oh, that was disappointing the, to me. Ah... Uh, Chris Brooks comes out, he screws over JFK, Aussie Open does get the win and the tag titles. Apparently, they are uh, schadenfreude together, which I think is a Fight Club Pro Yes, it's a, I follow Chris yeah. Brooks on, on Twitter, There's schadenfreude is a Fight Club Pro thing, it's like him, uh, Aussie Open, Timothy Thatcher, Lucky Kid, um, Jonathan Gresham, Kid Like Us, 
Um, it used to have Walter in it, but Walter got like power bombed through a table or something, and he's out of the group now. So who would keep Walter <laughs> out of your group, man? That's just asking to get I don't know, but, shot to death. But ah, so um, yeah, so uh, yeah. After the match, Rise has a problem with this. Obviously, Lucky Kid comes out, and he's in both groups, like you said. So he kind of is trying to keep the peace. Um, but I don't know, man. I how do you keep the peace when Chris Brooks just kind of screwed your guys over? Like that's a pretty uh, solid declaration against you there so yeah mm-hmm. uh i don't know i don't know a thing about schadenfreude and i don't really i don't like fletcher i'm not that crazy about brooks so i don't know they're not if they're gonna be like a top stable in wxw then that doesn't exactly encourage me but you never know uh i've been surprised before so we'll we'll see what happens i just i'm so two other previous a uh, couple of just notes about this especially for rise first off um I, I think someone's been listening to our podcast because Rico Bushida was like, "Look at look at Pete Bouncer. Look yes. at how hot Pete Bouncer is." All like, you have uh, to do hear you. is look at Pete Bouncer to know how hot he is. You have to listen <laughs> to our podcast to know true. that that is a freaking phenomenally handsome man. Um, he looks secondly, like Eli Drake's like little brother or something. <laughs> more handsome uh, little brother, Even not more that, handsome. Not Eli Drake Drake's is pretty handsome, good looking but, too. Indeed, but um, secondly. Ivan Kiev is really just quickly becoming one of my favorite wrestlers. Like yeah. every time I watch him perform, he's just, I don't know what it is about him. He's just, he's perfect. I enjoy him tremendously. Also, <sighs> I got, just... got a show love for JFK. Is this the one where they were talking about like uh, Francis Caspi came out dressed as Rico Bushido or something? <laughs> don't remember if it was, but he had some, uh, oh, he had some man. outfits on uh, throughout the weekend. Did uh, uh, Francis Caspi? than you for sure. Oh man, he's fresher than you. He's fresher than me. He's fresher than everybody. (laughs) Francis Casman, but oh, I'm so mad, Miz fan. I'm so mad. I love Rise. I'm super upset that they lost the titles to Aussie Open. I love Rise and I love JFK, and I don't love Aussie Open. So I agree. This is disappointing to me. And I, I haven't actually seen Schadenfreude in action. I haven't seen their Fight Club Pro work in particular. But you've but, seen – we know these three guys pretty well by no, now. No, that's that's so. exactly what I mean. Like I, I like Chris Brooks, pretty decent on Mark Davis. Don't really like uh, don't really like Kyle Fletcher pretty much at all. He's He exists. He's a dude. Uh, but I, I don't know what it is. But every time I've seen like the schadenfreude stuff, it just – it doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. Like Rise does a lot for me. I've, I've enjoyed their entire storyline. JFK is like – the perfect tag team, all, all must be said, just like just perfect in in their role and what they do and how they perform. And then there's Aussie Open and Schadenfreude. Now they're the tag champs, and that's just no, don't don't really not not really feeling that one. WXW, I'm sorry, and it's not even like ooh, I want to see them get beat up or ooh, I want to see them someone take the titles from them. It's just like well, that that happened. It's disappointing. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. I'm worried they're going to become like a really important stable in the company because I just uh, I just don't see a lot of mileage in it. At least not for me, like for what I'm looking for. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. So incredibly upset. Like if John Florida wants to come in and maybe they want to grab in like Timothy Thatcher, maybe if Lycos is healthy, he'll wrestle like that'll be fine. Please, God, if you take Lucky Kid or any member from Rise, I will be genuinely livid. I have invested so much appreciation into this group. They fought for their fucking livelihood as a stable earlier this year in the Kavik's loft. 
if that doesn't keep that group together and somehow, someway, somebody leaves to join Schadenfreude, ooh, I will not be happy. I will not be happy. So please, God, don't let that happen. If you want them to feud, that's fine. If you want someone to tease and then ultimately show that they're, like, you know, still demonstrably rise dudes, if you want Lucky Kid to sort of have that sort of uh, issue and then he proves that he's still in rise and everybody else, like, rallies behind him as well, that's fine. If Lucky Kid, if Pete Bouncer, if Ivan Kiev, if any of them end up leaving Rise to join Schadenfreude, I will be very, very genuinely unhappy. Do not do it. I am begging you. Huh. And those are my thoughts on Schadenfreude. So. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, here's something that I'm kind of looking forward to, though. Ken Shamrock will be at Superstars of Wrestling this year. The world's I most like... dangerous man. Uh... Let him <laughs> wrestle Timothy Thatcher. That's yeah, man. Let, oh, yeah. Or Walter, wrestle, or no, any number no. of people, really. Let him wrestle Timothy Thatcher, and let him wrestle Rico Bushido. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Two requests. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, that'll be good. Ken Shamrock, the wrestler, yeah, is something I have a big soft spot for, so definitely want to see that. Um, mm-hmm. Next match we have, or at least I have notes on, Mario Salani comes down to the ring doing a promo that was not subtitled on the show that I watched, but uh, you pretty What's much assume. It's not mine either. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. Missed that one, maybe, or just uh, watched it too soon. We can assume he's talking about how great he is as a shotgun champion and how great his body is. I, think he's, I definitely noticed that. I think he pretty much said something about being, like, the greatest shotgun champion ever, maybe the greatest champion WXW history ever. Something which, like that. Something like that. It's weird that you, in German you can like kind of understand it sometimes uh, yes. if you're a native English speaker. So, um, but yeah, uh, who should come out? But Karsten Beck, I believe, right? Did yes, he is okay, the now. Right. Uh, we didn't talk about this on night one, but he came out on night one basically at the beginning and was announced as being the uh, old and new director of sport for WXW. So he's kind of like their. Uh, general manager, commissioner, or, you know, like, matchmaker sort of dude. I so. miss Christian Michael Jacoby. I know he had to step away for some undisclosed reason, but I hope he comes back. Uh, he was great. Uh, not, yes. not that I have anything against Karsten Beck, but I miss Christian Michael Jacoby. So there you mm-hmm. go. Um, yeah, he comes out and uh, really just says, here's your opponent, basically, and that opponent is none other than Alexander Wolf of WWE of Sanity, formerly Axel Tischer. Uh, the Axeman. Yep, the Axeman. Um, apparently, and this this was cool, uh, that he promised he would return one day to WXW when he left in, like, 2015, and he did it even in the same building. So he got to come back. He's another guy who uh, sort of kind of went out there to WWE to do mostly nothing. Um, so it's nice he's able to come back here and be somebody. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of wish he brought Eric Young with him, but I guess that wouldn't have fit the... WXW theme. This match was pretty good. It wasn't one of the best of the weekend, but that's a high bar. It was was a really good match, and uh, I appreciate it. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, it was just uh, it was cool to see um, Axel Tischer return, Alexander Wolf return to WXW. He was a little bit before my WXW fandom, but apparently he was a uh, one of the founding members of Ringkampf. Actually, I don't know if he was necessarily within the stable, but he was definitely part of the. the group that started that like clothing line is what I is what I know of. I don't know if he was necessarily like a stable member, but he was like part of that group that kind of started the Ringkopf uh, name and mantra and clothing stuff. So he's technically part of that kinda, but uh, 
he comes back, you know, like, that's just kind of really cool, and everybody really loved that. Everyone really yeah, popped hard for that. Yeah, a total surprise, I believe. It was not advertised <laughs> at all, so yeah, mm. very, very nice, uh, shocking surprise for WXW fans. Yes, indeed, and it gave uh, Marius Alani a chance to be on the show after losing on uh, night one, which was yeah. also a very good thing. Loved the body of WXW, and they had a very, I think, a very passable, acceptable, good match here. They, you know, wasn't necessarily going to hit the high bar of some of the other stuff going on this weekend, but it didn't really have to. It was just a nice chance to see uh, Axel Tischer doing some WXW stuff, gave Marius Alani a chance to defend the uh, Shotgun Championship. He ultimately picks up the victory against him and it was you know good match good solid match really just an enjoyable for me it was more about the moment of tisher coming back than necessarily yeah. the match in and of itself but the match was also really good um yeah just just a great time here love love alani haven't really gotten a chance to see uh wolf or tisher before but i thought he was uh, a lot of fun in this match so yeah lots of good stuff here definitely so we come to the main event of night two a highly anticipated match. Really like the the presentation of this, talking about the history of uh, the second night title challenge, how many important matches, how Bobby Guns, as just a fan, saw Daniel Bryan, uh, Daniel Bryan Danielson, I should say, win the WWX, excuse me, WXW title uh, in just uh, such a challenge in what, like 2008, something like that, long time mm-hmm. ago. Um. Yeah, just a really good video package, as WXW often does. Really enjoyed Andy telling the story of uh, some famous swimmer who failed uh, a really difficult swim, even though she had her family there cheering her on, like everything was going for her, but she lost sight of her goal because of some fog. And he says, I am the greatest fog that you will ever see, Bobby Guns. It doesn't matter if your brother's here. It doesn't matter how clearly you think you see the goal or who's chanting for you. I will... uh, I will stop you. You know, I will be the thing that stops you from reaching your goal, no matter how sure you are that you're going to get it. Um, so that was great. Awesome on Andy's part, Bobby Gunn's part. I don't know. Ever since, like, that that, that match with the big chant was so awesome. But now I almost wish it didn't happen because, like, he's kind of a little bit become, like, just the chant. Like, he's, he's like, doing the chant for himself. He's talking about the chant all the time. It's like... Okay, yeah, but the chant wasn't the point. The point was, like, people liked you enough to chant like that. So maybe be cool like you were before. I don't know. I'm a little – I love Bobby Guns. I just feel like he's getting a little off track for what what really was so cool about him in the first place. Maybe so. Maybe so. But I, I don't know about you, but I was head over heels for this match. I just – from from top to bottom, this was just I don't know. I just I have very very positive feelings toward this because once again, the fans are chanting out of their mind for Bobby Guns, um, and I don't know that that just really added to the atmosphere. You know, you had Allen on commentary, literally running through every night two championship <laughs> match. Uh, off the top of his head, and Rico Bushido was, like, marking out for it. It was fantastic. Dude, I um, love them together. They are great. They remind me of us a little bit. So that's, Yes, that's indeed. They're so, they're so knowledgeable, but also fun, and they've got a whole bunch of different um, qualities to them that make them a great uh, commentary team. Um, but this match was... I I like this match, but it to me it really got going uh, pretty much once uh, Vinny Vortex came out to prevent... 
uh, Andy from running away. Uh, up until then, like, you know, Bobby Guns is basically running roughshod on Andy, and Andy's doing everything he can, trying to take every advantage he can get. Um, he's getting sometimes, but for the most part, he's just getting walloped. Uh, at some point, he attempts to leave the match. You know, he's doing Andy things. He tries to escape. Vinny Vortex comes out and says, no, no, no. Back in that ring, you're not you're not doing this, and everybody's like really positive for this. Basically, everything that happened in this match, like everybody like wholeheartedly loved in that building. It didn't matter what it was, um, if if it meant Bobby Guns was getting an advantage, like they were just about it. And I don't know, there's something very special and very unique and very just just good about that sort of thing. Um, and it was just really just cathartic to see eventually. Um, and he essentially get his comeuppance in this match. He's, you know, doing his – he's gotten like a figure four locked in. He's doing the rope-holding thing, and Tassilo Young eventually has had enough of it and, you know, he knocks his arm off. Um, he tries to run away with – you know, he tries to cheat a couple of times in the match. Like at one point he goes to um, low-blow um, Bobby Guns or like catches it in his arm and hits an arm breaker. Heck, even to start off the match, uh, and he tries to like strike – Bobby Guns, but Bobby Guns sees it coming and, you know, stops him and starts wailing on him. Like I said, he tries to escape at one point, and Vinny Vortex comes out and forces him back into the ring. Basically, it seemed like everything Andy did, everybody else had, like, an answer for. Um, but I almost thought this match was going to end a little bit um, before it actually did. At one point, uh, I think uh, Andy's got, like, he's got the title, he's going to go use it on uh, Bobby Guns maybe to draw a disqualification or just try to, you know, knock him out with a referee not looking. Vinny Vortex gets on the apron. He, like, pulls the title away from him. He refused to let him use it. And, um, you know, Bobby Guns is very clearly watching this happen. And he goes to run in to attack Andy. And Andy moves out of the way and he knocks down Vinny Vortex, does Bobby. And he hits the, uh, what do they call it? The A-Classa, the sort of sit-out dominator that I Andy does. A-Classa. And I was like, oh, this is it. You know, this time Bobby didn't or Andy didn't really do anything. Bobby cost himself in this match. That's going to be a really unique finish there. One, two, kick out. And then, like, the place became unfucking glued. <laughs> like, like nobody kicks out of the A-class. It just doesn't happen all that often. That's like the the move that puts people away. When you know Absolute Andy has got his sights set on victory, he hits that move, and it's just done. Bobby Gunn's kicked out of it. And um, to, to me, the big thing from this match, the, the reason this is uh, just one of my favorite things that has happened recently is like there's been this story essentially between um, CeeLo Young and Absolute Andy – and CeeLo Young has just had it with all of Andy's antics and has had it since Andy turned heel. Like, since then, like, Andy has always been pushing the envelope, bending the rules, breaking the rules outright. And the guy who's had to put up with all of that is CeeLo Young, who knows Andy's cheating, who knows Andy is taking shortcuts pretty much all the goddamn time. And by the end of this match, Bobby Guns, um, like, just during, like, an exchange after I think he got low-blowed at one point in this match... And he's finally had it. He kind of accidentally just kind of rears back and kicks Absolute Andy in the nether regions right in front of Tassilo Young. Tassilo sits there. He's got his mouth open. He's looking back and forth. 
and he just covers his eyes. He's I I didn't see anything. I don't know what just happened here. And the fans are eating this up. The fans are in love. Uh, Bobby Guns eventually applies the swish armbar one more time. He had it once early on, didn't get the victory then, but he applies it again. This time, Andy taps out, and you thought the place came unglued before? The place comes unglued again. Bobby Guns picks up the victory and becomes the new WXW Unified World Wrestling Champion and Everyone was pleased as punch over this decision. I was just just the atmosphere of this match to me made it super unique. The payoff for everything that Andy's been doing over the past several months, past year basically since he turned on uh, Marius Alani. Um, yeah, this is I, I think this is it's very much similar to the uh, Ilya Dragunov. Uh, Bobby Gunn's match, where it's more of the experience of what happened as opposed to the match itself that made it so just high quality, I thought. But yeah, I was just... The fans enjoyed it, and the fans really enjoying it made me really enjoyed it. They chanted for Bobby Gunn's all night, um, and I just recently uh, basically figured out that the reason it's the Gunn's Bobby Gunn's chant specifically is because Bobby Gunn's theme song, which is Robot Rock by Daft Punk, basically has lyrics it's only like two lyrics rock robot rock but it's the exact same cadence that they do it to so it's instead of rock robot rock it's guns bobby guns so that immediately made that click more for me it's like oh okay that's that's why they do that but they were chanting that all night once again everything bobby guns was doing they were for every time andy had you know one of his nefarious tricks sort of screwed and taken away from him the fans loved it even more Ha! Huh. I don't know. Just just something about when fans are highly into something, um, it it just sort of makes it different and makes it unique and makes it special. And that's what this match really was. Bobby Guns picks up the victory, the new WXW Unified World Wrestling Champion, and who that was just it was a fantastic, great, uh, just a great moment. Really, maybe one of the uh, best moments of the year so far. It might go down as one of the best moments of the year. Once we reach its uh, end in December, but I was feeling this. I don't know about you, but I was, I was feeling this. It was definitely a great match. I think you liked it a little bit more than I did. Um, I liked a lot of things about it, like the crowd engagement. Um, I, I liked the finishing sequence. Overall, uh, I was a little iffy on the ref, kind of letting it slide. I wish they'd maybe built it up a little more during the match, but you know, you kind of you get the idea definitely, and they work for the crowd. I don't know if Andy and Guns, as great as both are, and I think they're both two of the best, probably in the world, definitely in Europe. I don't know if they have the best chemistry, just like, just just flat out like bottom line, because they've wrestled a bunch of times. It's never quite been as good as I maybe thought it was going to be. But you know what? They still had a great match, and uh, I think it went down pretty much the way it should have gone. So it was uh, very good stuff. I was a fan as well. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just a fantastic end to everything on uh, on night one. Bobby Guns emerges victorious. It's one of the good feel-good moments of the weekend. And then we still had all of night three to get through. Oh, boy. Even better stuff. Indeed. Night three includes uh, the two semifinal matches, both of which I honestly love. The first one, Lucky Kid versus Ilya Dragunov. 
Uh, thought this was really fantastic, especially the finish, which was uh, Lucky Kid dodging uh, Torpedo Moscow and Ilya just like clobbering himself in the corner. Lucky Kid taking advantage, hitting a 450 splash to win, finally getting a win uh, off a of finisher instead of uh, kind of a, a flash pin, which I thought was nice and it built up uh, a little bit for the finale. What did you think of this first one here? This was a killer match. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of Ilya's uh, better performances from the weekend. Definitely made up for the uh, very weirdly lackluster Daisuke Sekimoto match. Um, and this, this was another just great Lucky Kid performance. This is Lucky Kid, uh, you know, he's coming in here, he's got to face Timothy Thatcher, and he's got to face um, Axel Dieter Jr., and then he's got to face Ilya Dragunov. And there's not exactly a whole lot of dudes who could probably do that three-match and eventual four-match stretch and, you know, survive it. But Lucky Kid did, and it felt so, like, natural and authentic. Uh, this match in particular with that great finishing moment of... And what I particularly loved about it was, you see, you know, he does the Unbezigvar taunt Ilya Dragunov, and he turns around to run, and you see Lucky Kid standing there, and he's very clearly going, come on, come bring it. And then as Ilya launches himself, he dodges out of the way, sends him crashing headfirst into the turnbuckle, breaks out a 450 splash, which I don't think I've ever seen him do. Maybe I have and forgot, but it's cool to see him bust that out like a special move for 16 carat and defeat Ilya Dragunov. Like that, that's just a cool moment. He's beaten a whole bunch of big dudes this week, and it always felt like really natural and, and just yeah. like authentic and good. And this was just another example of it. I don't, Theoretically, this might be the weakest of uh, Lucky Kid's four matches, and that's not because this match was bad at all. There was just three other really, really good matches he had. That's phenomenal. Just, wow. just a great stretch of matches for, um, for Lucky Kid here, and a, and a really stellar performance from Ilya as well. Good stuff in this opener. Man, that's incredible. When you said that, I was like, that can't be right. And then I looked at the other three matches like, damn, maybe it is. Maybe it is the weakest of the four just because uh, it was ridiculously great. Uh, but they all were, you know, all of Lucky Kid's matches. It, wow, he really like, he really turned it up, man. I like Lucky Kid even uh, in the first place. I thought he's been great for uh, at least a year now. But this was something mm-hmm. else. Look, genuinely, this might be like – all the other matches might be like if if you do with a five star rating scale, like all these other matches might be like five and a half or four and three quarter star, and this was only four and a half stars. I don't fucking know. I don't do those star ratings, but this this match was the weakest. But once again, not because it was bad, not because it was any really like worse than any of the other matches. He just had three other really fucking good matches this weekend. It's I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah, awesome. yeah, very cool stuff. Uh, second time of the final match is Walter taking on Avalanche. And when Avalanche was wrestling Shigeru Irie, commentary is like, this is one of the best hoss fights I've ever seen. And I'm like, it isn't, because I don't know if they're really big enough to be hosses in the first place, and even if they are, it's just not that good. But this, you've got Walter, who's a genuine hoss, and, you know, Avalanche is a very thick fellow, so, you know, I'll give it to him. Um... Yeah, this this was, this really was a hoss fight. Yeah, no, I had a and, great and, time. And, and I liked the Shigehiro Irie Avalanche match, but this, I mean, it, it, it's Walter. It's it's Walter and Avalanche. Mm. It's them 
You know, they have a lot of history. They were apparently former tag team partners together back when maybe he wasn't even uh, Avalanche, but Robert Dreisker, you know, yep. years ago. So. Sure, sure. They were, they were tag partners at one time. They've been around the block many times. Uh, yeah, this is very good. I've, one of my favorite things about Walter, and that's a very long list, one of my favorite things is the way he's able to uh, absorb offense and keep going. But not because, like, he's not selling anything, because I think he's actually a spectacular seller, but because he is just so, like, undeniable. Like, he is just such a a mountain of energy and power and everything. Um, Like, the finish of the smash is a great example, because the finish is Avalanche hits the Vader bomb, or whatever the special name for it is, and Walter, like, is able to just clamp onto him, immediately after that move and it's not because he wasn't hurt because you could see that he was hurt by the move but he like absorbed it and he was able to use it to like position himself to get into this hold and mm-hmm. to get the victory and uh it's just wonderful i love the way they do that stuff there's i feel like if you're gonna look at two ends of the spectrum of how big guys should like sell and bump and experience the moves of other professional wrestlers on one side, on like the really positive scale, you probably have to look at Walter as being the absolute best in that regard. Like you said, he – it's not that he doesn't sell. It's not that he doesn't bump. It's that he kind of absorbs and endures. Yeah. When he gets hit with things like, you know, he reacts to them the way you would expect a guy of that size to react to them. He's getting hurt. He just had a gigantic man – like leap from the top rope on top of him in in Avalanche, and he didn't just like you know no sell it. He didn't just act like it didn't happen. He, he sold it appropriately, but he was you know he's able to take what happens to him and essentially remember he's a big dude. He's a very strong dude. He's a very powerful dude with a lot of very high standing um, in like the wrestling world and sort of you know he's one of the upper echelon talents and he acts and reacts like that when he takes moves. And on the other side, be a guy that I've never really particularly enjoyed being a big man who did uh, bumping and selling. That would be Abyss, because he always made things look really ridiculous, no matter who he was facing. And that would be my scale. Like, you have Walter, who does it perfectly. He understands his size, his physique, his uh, persona, you know, like what he is supposed to do, how he is supposed to do it. And in this match with Avalanche, you basically see that. Even though he picks up the victory the way he does... There's still a sense that, like, you know, someone is doing damage to him. It's not, like, overwhelming damage. It's not the same damage the same guys would be doing to literally any other wrestler. But he's taking it, and he is absorbing it. He is enduring it. But he's still being affected by it. And that's uh, that's one of the things that has made Walter the best wrestler in the world, uh, bar none, basically. And that's that's just part of his presentation, and that's just what, like I said... Just what makes him so good. Absolutely so. Picks up the win here. Finals are set. Lucky Kid versus Walter. That's going to be something to see for sure. Uh, and I would uh, I would just like to say before we quite get there. Um, sure. When we talked about the 16 carat as sort of a preview, I said, like, in my mind, the, the, the storyline going through to the end would essentially be David Starr having to face all of the members of RingConf in order to win 16 karat goal. Like he was going to face, like I, I had it in my head that he was going to face, like he already had Walter and he was going to have to face Walter and Axel and Tim at various points 
throughout the tournament to make it to the finals. Because to me, that that seemed like that was going to be sort of a natural thing for David Starr to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Sure enough, they did exactly that, but not for David Starr. (laughs) They did it for Lucky Kid. He had to take on Timothy Thatcher, a rival of his in the first round, and beat him, surprisingly, upsettingly, in terms of actually being an upset, not necessarily being like an upsetting thing that happened, but he wins in an upset against Timothy Thatcher. He wins in an upset against Axel Dieter Jr. And then he, you know, he beats Ilya. And who does he have to face in the finals? Walter. That I, I, I don't know. That's just like, that's just a really cool thing to see. Um, I, I just really think that, you know, that was just sort of the right thing to do um, for somebody. I predicted it as David Starr, but Lucky Kid, I think, is uh, just as worthy of that sort of progression throughout the tournament. And really, like, prove that he belonged in that conversation of you know, just being as good, you know, being on that sort of level. And, God, that's just kind of really cool to see. So, yeah, when we get to that match, we're going to have a lot to say on that one as well. But that's uh, sort of our, our main event here of mm-hmm. uh, the Global Revolution. we got a few matches before we get there, though. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'll definitely say props to uh, Lucky Kid for yeah, going over a real who's who. Of WXW, and uh, yeah, you're right, going over the ring conf guys, I didn't even think of that, but it's a very good point. Uh, speaking of ring conf, we uh, go here to uh, six-man tag, first of two on this evening. On the one side, you got Timothy Thatcher, Veit Mueller, and Alexander Wolf, three people apparently who all have some sort of ring conf affiliation. On the other side, you have sort of a Japanese super team of Yuki Shikawa, Daisuke Sakamoto, and Shigehiro Irie. Uh, I don't know about you, I really enjoyed this match, uh, mm-hmm. but the biggest part of it was after the match, so if, if you want to say anything about the match itself, go ahead, and then we'll talk about the really important thing that was uh, immediately following. Yeah, so first off, uh, Yuki Ishikawa, still the man throughout yep. uh, all the weekend. He just still looked awesome here. Um, once again, uh, some pretty solid and good performances from both Daisuke Sakamoto and uh, Shigehiro Irie in my book. Um Kind of very weird pairing or weird trio on the other side, but they all worked really well, these sort of ring conf dudes. Um, yeah, so that was just kind of cool to see all of them come together for a match. Uh, really good performances from pretty much everyone involved. The uh, Japanese team picks up the victory, but yeah, as good as the match was, it's not what's really uh, important here, because afterwards something uh, very, very uh, kind of shattering and shaking and positive occurs. Ms. Van, why don't you tell us what that was? After the match, uh, you've got Thatcher, Veit Mueller, and Alexander Wolf in the ring. Walter and Axel Jr. come down to uh, kind of join the group. Looks like uh, he's not quite sure what's going to happen. Suddenly, Walter grabs Veit Mueller in a sleeper hold. The crowd is ready to boo him for, for this nefarious act, but it's not actually nefarious at all. It's a fake out. They are actually just uh, kind of messing with him before presenting him with official membership into RingConf. Uh, the crowd loves this. They say that he deserves it, and he does. Mike Mueller has impressed the hell out of me. As good as the matches on this weekend have been, I'm still not entirely sure that Walter versus Mike Mueller is not my match of the year still, just because there was a very special entry about that match. Mm-hmm. Um Thatcher shakes Veit Mueller's hand. He's supported him this whole time, but 
when he turns to Walter, to Axel Dieter Jr., he does not shake their hands. He doesn't even really acknowledge them very much. And he walks away from the group before they kind of do the ring comp pose. So I, the other thing I really want you to remember about that, to, to me, which is the thing that made it particularly special, was that the way they were divided, like standing wise, mm-hmm. it seemed like they had made room for Thatcher to come join them oh, specifically yeah. next to White Miller. Because you had like it was just, it was from left to right. It was like Dieter space Muller. Walter, and it seemed very much like they had, you know, planned on having uh, Thatcher, like, actually join them and be part of this thing, and Thatcher seemed to know that, shook uh, Muller's hand and talked to him really closely, and he has a kind of, almost almost a, like, big brother bond or fatherly bond or some sort of, like, positive mentor bond with Veit Muller, and, you know, shook his hand, you know, held him close, told him, like, he earned it, he deserved it, good on him, and then kind of looked around, he saw... He just kind of barely looked at Walter, barely looked at Axel Dieter, and left. And that was, like, everybody noticed that, everybody reacted to that, and that was another thing in the uh, the Timothy Thatcher uh, ring comp story. And that's just, I this is another thing that's uh, I've really been invested in, that I'm really, like, big on, is the sort of whole thing between them, and I cannot... I cannot really fault Timothy Thatcher for walking away from this. Like he, it was his goal to come in and win this weekend. Um, it's his goal to sort of separate himself from his uh, ring camp for brethren and defeat them when he could, if he had to. And he didn't get that done. He still has those sort of, um, these sort of, I think very justifiable reasons to not particularly be happy with either Walter or Dieter. And he. You said, you know, congrats to Vite Muller. Good on you for making it in. I'm really proud of you. And then left. So when it comes down to it for the final sort of like, you know, they do the big ring conf pose and it's um, it's, it's still Walter and still Axel Dieter, Axel Dieter Jr. Let me use my words correctly. God. Um, it's those two, but it's not Timothy Thatcher in the middle. It is indeed Vite Muller instead. And that was something... Um, Notable and just special and just big props to Veit Muller, very much in the same uh, place as uh, Julian Pace in terms of being a guy we got to got to see grow up a little bit through uh, WXW, a you know guy made in the academy, like just coming into his own and really being a big part of the enjoyment of uh, WXW we've had over the past you know year or so, or even longer than that. Um, and it's good props to him. Glad he's in ring conf. This was a really great storyline overall, and it's probably still not done. Still probably some slight uh, threads left hanging in terms of uh, Timothy Thatcher, so we're going to have to see where that goes. But big props, big appreciation to Weitmuller for finally making it in. Good on him. Absolutely so. Um, last thing I want to say about the Timothy Thatcher thing, Walter Call, or, uh, David Starr called Walter a sellout earlier, and I think uh, can't forget that that's part of it as well. You know, Thatcher made life choices based on, like, the success of Rinkhoff, and then what does everyone in Rinkhoff do? They basically go off and they sign in a place where, you know, I can't say for sure, but it seems like Thatcher's maybe really has no interest in going. So he didn't walk out on them first. It kind of seems like maybe they walked out on him, so... And he's just paying the favor back, basically, I think. That's yeah. that's what I really think it is. So, 
Uh, going to yeah. see. Uh, I, I still don't think we're quite done with everything involving uh, Timothy Thatcher and Ring Kampf. Oh. Um, so we'll have to see where that goes and how uh, maybe even how David Starr end up, ends up factoring into everything now. So we'll have to see uh, what comes of all of that. Absolutely. Um, move on with the night. We have uh, Killer Kelly taking on Tony Storm for that WXW Women's Championship in a match that I thought was quite good. I uh, really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, we see a very nice pre-match video. Kelly talking about the first time she was champion. Doesn't really think, looking back, that she was ready, but Tony was always supportive of her. They show some really nice clips actually supporting that, stuff that I uh, hadn't really been too familiar with, showing that they were actually very close for a long time. Um, yeah, going into the match itself, heel Tony Storm worked so much better, I'll say it again, than babyface mm-hmm. Tony ever did. Um, I loved at one point in the match, she's like holding her uh, by the braids and like curb stomping her, and that was really quite brutal. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, though, very surprised at the finish of this. I thought for sure this would be Killer Kelly kind of getting coronated and Tony Storm piecing off to work just for WWE, but no, Tony Storm getting the victory, so I don't know, could see more of this heel run? I mean, certainly we will. I don't know how long it'll last, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, this match I think really turned up once uh, Tony hit the uh, strong zero on the outside. That uh, that really like turned the match around for me, particularly beforehand it was just kind of all right. But after that, they I think they really amped up the pace and the intensity of the match. And I, for one, I'm surprised, but I was not necessarily um, disappointed in the finish. Um, cause, cause it was a, it was essentially a flash pin. It was a roll up from Tony storm to sort of pick up the win over killer Kelly. And the way it was played was not necessarily, um, there are sometimes when flash pins happen and it's an upset. There are sometimes where flash pins happen and it comes off like it was somebody, uh, outsmarting somebody else. This came off. I don't know about you, but to me, I definitely read this more as desperation from Tony storm. Mm. Killer Kelly had after, uh, Tony Storm kind of disrespected uh, Killer Kelly by doing some of her taunts and mannerisms to the booze of the crowd. Killer Kelly really essentially just like turned on the Jets and looked like she was really close to picking up the victory uh, towards the end here. But Tony Storm rolls her up and gets the win, and it very much felt like a desperation maneuver. And the way uh, Tony left felt less like, you know, ha-ha, look at me, I have won, I am victorious, and more like, See, I, I'm still the champion, but I'm going to back away from you before anything else happens. So, I don't, I don't know. We already had, you know, we're going to have a 16-carat uh, champion crown. We already had Bobby Guns crowned. Um, I don't think you can necessarily do too many coronations without uh, maybe going uh, overload on that. you got to have one sort of, uh, maybe a swerve, maybe some sort of stoppage there. But, uh yeah, I thought this was really well done. I'm really enjoying Tony Storm way more as a heel than I am a face killer. Kelly was also great in this match, and I thought the finish was perfect. And it really feels like um, it's it's delaying the inevitable because I'm absolutely certain Killer Kelly will win the title from Tony Storm, but not necessarily in a way that felt like um, that felt like cheap or anything. Like I was into this; uh, it was good. I think that Tony Storm managed to get at least one victory over her and managed to retain the title here and I'm looking forward to an inevitable match again somewhere down the line hopefully where Kelly where Killer Kelly will win it but uh for now really like this one good stuff uh really enjoying Tony Storm a lot more and Killer Kelly is just phenomenal as well 
Yep, yep, I agree with all of that. Look forward to seeing it continue. Um, night does continue with uh, JFK coming out. Uh, this was. I, I, I want to say there were things that happened on this show. This might have been my absolute. Like even with the sixteen carat main event match, this might have been one of my favorite things that happened on the whole weekend. Well, this was a lot of maybe fun. You should talk about it then, because uh, it was sort of just like a novelty to me. I didn't uh, necessarily get that much out of it. I was like, oh, I mean, that would be it was cool if I knew what that team was. Uh, you know, I've heard of them, but it's fine. So yeah, no, tell us about uh, what works for you. It's definitely a novelty, but it was a novelty that worked for me um, a lot. Anyway, uh, JFK come out here, and they're very upset. They lost the previous night. They haven't been, like, you know, shown a lot on social media and used to, like, sell shows and not on the posters or on Twitter or anything. So they're very upset about the way they've been treated, and that WXW constantly keeps throwing uh, obstacles in their path to stardom. And they're, they're the, they know they're the reasons everybody pays to come to WXW shows. They know they're the reasons everybody came this weekend to 16K was to see them. They talked about how they were going to hold a meet-and-greet, a special meet-and-greet in the ring. Everybody could come, uh, you know, meet the greatest tag team of all time in their minds in uh, JFK. Carson Beck comes out here, and he is very much a uh, – he's got a microphone. He's in all business mode. He comes down there. He takes one look at uh, Jay Skillen, kind of shrugs him off, looks at Francis Casper, looks between them. He says, the following tag team match – will be scheduled for one fall. Everybody says one fall, and what should happen? Who should be the tag team they have to face? Why, it's the one of the legendary WXW tag teams, Hot and Spicy. Axel Dieter Jr. did not just come back to spend his time with Ring Conf. Oh, no, he came back to do some fun stuff with old partner Dumb Mac in Hot and spicy they've apparently got this really ridiculous ghostbusters based theme song um that everybody was like singing and chanting and everybody is just losing their minds and out these guys come and i I don't know this was just a really fun enjoyable like you said it might have been a novelty but it was a novelty that i had a tremendous amount of enjoyment for it was not something i was expecting to see happen it wasn't something that i was like you know, Axel Dieter Jr. comes back, and I so associate him with Ring Conf that I kind of forgot that at one point he was teamed up with Demac, and they did some really uh, apparently important things like uh, in their run together. So the fact that they reunited to take on JFK seems like a natural fit. I had a really fun time with the match. In the end, JFK kind of gets what's coming to them for being obnoxious little shits, and they lose to Hot and Spicy. And even though that might not have been the decision i would have gone with because i love jfk but i don't know it felt really cathartic everybody was having a great time uh it was just kind of cool to see those two dudes back together it was really cool to see uh Demac as a face again doing some very face things and if this is what encourages him to sort of get back on that track i'm not going to have really too many complaints because he seemed uh I- i've liked his uh rise run especially towards the end of it uh, i liked his sort of heel stuff once i finally got kind of used to it but I don't know. He feels like a very natural face. He feels like a very fun-loving dude. He had a great time here with uh, Axel Dieter Jr., who was also killing it. I don't know. This was a lot of fun to me. I enjoyed this immensely. <laughs> I uh, I definitely enjoyed the setup a lot. JFK coming out and canceling the weekend to do a, a meet-and-greet for themselves was spectacular. Um, the match itself, yeah, I didn't, it, it was fine. Um, but, yeah, I love JFK. You, you know this, so it's all mm-hmm. very good stuff. 
Uh, last thing before our final match, we have another six-man. is uh, Pentagon Jr., Phoenix, and Ray Horace taking on Schadenfreude. And I got to say, I like one of these teams tremendously. And it's not the team that won, and it's not the team that seems like it's going to get pushed a lot uh, in this company. So, I don't know. This match uh, was definitely not bad. I enjoyed a lot of things about it. Some things I didn't enjoy as much. Kyle Fletcher being one. That stupid spot where Pentagon uh, Canadian Destroyer is his own partner being another. I and don't know how I thing feel about that, that spot. I've seen that... it before, so how many times can you stupidly beat up your own brother? I don't know. I hate that spot. Like, um, it, it, like in theory, no, not even in theory. No, that, there's no theory. Because he jumps off the ropes and, like, he has to be, like, looking the whole time. So he cannot possibly, like, not see that Chris Brooks, like, swapped places with Phoenix and put him in there for the uh, Canadian destroyer. Like, there's no way that doesn't happen. I understand you've got, like, momentum on your side, but it's not like you're running at a dude. You're, like, jumping down landing and then jumping again to do the Canadian destroyer. How can you like not at least be like, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't the guy I want a Canadian destroy. This doesn't make any sense. I'm going to stop this. So like it's a, it's a coolish visual, but it just, it feels like a very like convoluted um, spot that should, you know, be able to be like stopped fairly easily. But I, I guess it isn't. I don't know. It was very weird. I'm not, not, not the biggest fan of that particular happenstance. no, not my thing. No, it's a terrible spot. Um, and I guess everyone has their own line, though, because a lot of spots for us, you know, make sense. And sometimes you just get over it, and sometimes you can't. So, yeah, that, that one is a big no for me. But, uh, oh, well. Um, I, I don't have anything else to say about the match. It, it was fine. Chris Brooks pins Ray Horace, which is exactly what you would have predicted. Um if you were just looking at this match on paper and you knew they wanted to push Schadenfreude. Uh, so, yeah, the match, uh, it was what it was. Mm-hmm. It, it existed. I had a really good time with the Lucha Dudes. Um, I was having a decent time for the most part with Schadenfreude, but Kyle Fletcher is still there, so yeah. that's that's a negative in and of itself. Um, and then Schadenfreude won, which I, I, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you knew it was coming, so... Mm. Um, yeah, that brings us all the way to our final Walter versus Lucky Kid. And yeah, man, what an absolute classic. Another clear match to your contender, uh, to my eyes. Um, got great stuff like Walter holding down Lucky Kid and like stripping off his elbow padding, his elbow like bandage that he's got on there, which was, uh, sustained in night one against Thatcher. Uh, nobody else really targeted it when I thought of it, but Walter, he just went after it very viciously. Um, I love how Walter is just a man that you literally have to, like, destroy all of his power reserves, and he can absorb so much stuff and just credibly keep coming. I love Lucky Kid trying to use the same, like, slap barrage that worked on Thatcher, only for it to fail here. I loved how I was on the edge of my seat, for all of this, as was the crowd, I love Lucky Kid double-stomping Walter over and over, just trying to, like, literally drive him through the mat. I love And him. particularly, I love the uh, the spot that began that when Walter comes in to do the John Woo dropkick, mm. and Lucky Kid sees it coming and, like, leaps into the air 
and like comes down. You think he tries to do a double snap, but he lands more like a knee drop on him instead. And he proceeds to follow this up with like two more double stops. And it was just like, I, that was super cool. That's like, it, that was like another level of intensity that a lucky kid reached. Like he's been intense all weekend against the dudes he's had to face in Thatcher, Dieter and Ilya. And he somehow, some way managed to take it another step further. That's what I said early in the beginning of the show was that you'd think these guys had like hit the peak, hit the zenith for themselves, and they would still find ways to top themselves, to go even one or two steps farther than before. And that's to me, that's what this match was. And ah, so good. So good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That whole sequence was really phenomenal. Um, I love the 450 being used again, the way he beat uh, Ilya Dragunov, hitting two, one to the spine, and one as a proper pinfall. Walter still kicking out. So, uh, uh, like, everything that has worked against everyone else, it's not enough against Walter, because he's, like, the ultimate final boss, basically, of the but, world. But then- and, and to me, this is also good. He like he tried all these unique, different things. Like he had a flash pin in this match that didn't work. He hit the 450 a couple times in this match. He still didn't quite work. So what does Lucky Kid have to do? Where does Lucky Kid have to go? Why? Back to the crossface, his move. The, all the things that he's done this weekend, the crossface is one of his things, and he applies it in. He's got it locked on. He's got it cinched in deep. Looks like Walter's about to like reach the ropes, and he like rolls backwards. You can hear Rico Bushido on commentary, basically going like, you know, he's got this, but Walter's going to find his way out. And then he rolls backwards, and it's, oh no, maybe Walter's not going to find his way out of this. He's got it cinched in deep. He's got this lock hooked in. Everybody is losing their minds. What does Walter do, Miss Fan? What does Walter do to end this match? What does he do? What does he do? Taps out. Lucky Kid tapped out Walter to win 16 carat. I didn't believe it. Like, I had, I'm going to be really honest, I saw a lot of the results before the shows happened. And even now, I am sitting here telling you that when Lucky Kid tapped out Walter, I could not believe it. I could not wrap my mind around that that was the finish of 16 carat, not in a negative way, not in a what were they thinking way, but a oh my god, did that actually just happen way. And it did. Lucky Kid defeats Walter. He takes everything he throws at him. He throws everything he's got at him. And he wins. He wins. He taps him out. He doesn't just, you know, pin him. He doesn't knock him out. He doesn't flash pin him. He gets Walter to tap. Ah. I love this match. I love the ride Lucky Kid went on. I love this entire weekend from him. He had four matches. Four match of the year contenders. Period. Point blank. Walter had like three of them. Lucky Kid had like four of them. Yes. I'm I'm so pumped about the end of the 16-carat tournament. Lucky Kid picking up a well-deserved victory in... An amazing match, a phenomenal match, a must-see. If you're listening to this show now and you have free time, stop what you're doing. I don't care what it is. Stop what you're doing. If you haven't already, go to wxwnow.de and apply. Get yourself on their service. 
go watch all the Lucky Kids matches from 16 Karat Gold Weekend, and especially go watch this match with Walter. You have to. I am pleading with you. You you must do this thing. Go watch this match. It is a masterclass. The only match right now that I consider, like, I love Pac and, Drag- and KZ. Really good match. Really phenomenal match. Match of the year contender. The only match that I personally think connects with this right now this year is Walter Weitmuller. These are the two matches of the year right now in my book. It's Walter Veit and Walter Lucky Kid, and both of them were great, I think, for very similar, different reasons, but very similar reasons in that it is a dude going up against Walter and having to do everything they can to overcome this dude and prove to themselves, prove to the world, prove to Walter, prove to anybody else watching, proving to any doubters, any lovers, just what level these guys are. Or on. Weitmuller couldn't do it, but that match was amazing. Lucky Kid did it to win 16 karat gold. Ah! <sighs> Fucking great. Fucking fantastic. Not at all what I was expecting. I was totally thinking Lucky was gonna, you know, be a first or second round fallout, but no, he beats everybody in Ringkampf. He beats the three Ringkampf names Timothy Thatcher, Axel Dieter Jr., and Walter on top of meeting Ilya Dragunov in one weekend, and all the matches felt authentic. They felt correct. They felt like they were the right decision. They were played off perfectly. He had two flash pins. He adds another move to his arsenal with the 450 to put away Ilya Dragunov after outsmarting him, essentially. He takes all these things that he's done in all these matches leading up to this final, and he uses them on Walter. And even though they don't work, he's got to go back to his bread and butter in the crossface, and he makes Walter tap out. Ah, fucking great storytelling. Love Lucky Kid. He 110% deserves to be 16 karat gold champion, 16 karat gold winner. Congratulations to him. Ah, I'm going to stop talking now so that Ms. Fan can speak, because otherwise I'm just going to keep going on and on. So, Ms. Fan, put myself on mute for a little bit. You go ahead and speak your mind, because I'm just too pumped, and if I keep going, I won't stop. Uh, what more can you say? I, I already have spoken about how much I love this match, and yeah, I got it. It's, if this is not in the conversation for best match of the year, then we're having entirely different conversations. Uh, it's just, uh, oh, it's a sublime match, honestly, and just the whole story of the whole weekend just played out beautifully. I love WXW, man. It's just, uh, it's just the best. I, I love so much that we're covering it. So we've got so much content to cover. I already can't wait for the next show to come out. I have no idea even what that is, when it is, but uh, it'll come. I'll be here for it. I'll be very excited. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, I guess this sets up Lucky Kid versus Bobby Guns in the very near future, I would think. Uh, it's interesting because they were just feuding over the shotgun title last year, so uh be a different flavor on that. Um, mm-hmm. They were feuding over the shotgun the championship. Down. And they became, even if very temporarily, they were on the same side for a moment against Marius Alani and uh, Tarkin Aslan for just a hot second. So they have some very recent history. We'll see how that plays between two of, um, I'd say, two of maybe like the top, I I don't know, there's like five guys I would classify as being the top baby faces 
of uh, of WXW right now. It'd be those two, Ilya Dragunov, uh, David Starr, and maybe Tim Thatcher, depending on how you classify him. I'd say those two are in the conversation for that sort of role in the company. And whew, when they get a chance to fight, when they get a chance to have that title match, um, I'm going to be looking forward to it. And maybe that'll be one of the things that maybe Spurs may be more heelish, maybe more back to his cool roots. Uh, uh, Bobby Guns, perhaps? I don't know. That's going to be uh, interesting to see, and I think that's that should be the route they take, I think, is maybe him getting a little bit jealous that everybody likes uh, uh, Lucky Kid maybe just as much or even more than they like him or something. I don't know. It'll be good either way. I'm really looking forward to it, but um, the one other thing I really have to say about this is after the match, Lucky Kid is in just absolute tears. He is just wrecked by the fact that he pulled it off, that he won this match. Rise comes out. Both Pete Bouncer and Ivan Kiev celebrating with him. He gets a handshake from Walter. Um, he, you know, he sends. You know, everybody's off. They're all celebrating. They raise him up with the championship, with the trophy, and he's celebrating. Shot and Freud comes out, and I was desperately afraid they were going to like ruin things for me and you know get in the way of this moment. They instead they sit there and clap. Lucky Kid basically kind of acknowledges them but not really gives them kind of a peace sign and then they applaud and they walk off but when he's celebrating he's not not just raising his hands in the air what is he doing he's doing the rise finger extended the rise pose and that's just i don't know something about that like ah this was so good i'm just i have a lot of feelings about this match i have a lot of feelings about lucky kid i have a lot of feelings about rise so this was the perfect capper to this weekend an absolute just like it's the main event of the weekend and yet it somehow still managed to steal the show. I don't know how you do that as the main event, but ha, ah, this is I'm I'm going to have a lot of feelings and a lot of things to say about this match for a very long time afterwards. Just fucking fantastic, phenomenal must be seen to be believed, awe-inspiring, breathtaking, sublime match here. Congratulations are in order for Lucky Kid winning 16 karat. Good on him. Good tournament. Good finish. Good for Lucky. Ha, oh, man. WXW uh, inspires a lot of feelings. Uh, nobody can blame you for that because uh, that's just what good wrestling does. It's great stuff. I love it. Okay. I think that pretty much covers everything we wanted to talk about. So... Anything else you got before we uh, wrap up this great episode? Uh, not quite. Well, I do say uh, two things. One, uh, both, they're both Chikara things. First off, they just had the Young Lions Cup uh, tournament this past uh, weekend. Stage one and stage two happened, I think, on Saturday. Um, first part during the afternoon, second part during the evening. So we've got ourselves a new uh, Young Lions Cup champion. Don't know who it is, but I know it has happened. I know it has occurred. Um, and secondly, I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, they've already got tickets on sale for, uh, King of Trios apparently in October. I don't know if I'm going yet as as they came out too soon, if anything, but uh, I hope (laughs) that I can go again. Uh, yeah, two interesting things about that happening in October instead of, uh, September, not over Labor Day weekend this year. So that's a bit interesting. Also happening in Reading, not Easton, which I'm a little sad about. I love the fun flex and, uh, it's been a lot of fun to go out there. So, um, 
it's uh I'm, I'm sure they'll have a good venue at least i hope they will certainly uh i'm excited like i said i hope i get to go out there indeed and uh not gonna exactly promise anything but i think uh I might be trying to go out there this weekend, hopefully, or this uh, year, hopefully. I really would like to make that happen. So we'll see. We'll see how things play out. But, uh, Interesting. Well, it would be good to uh, meet in person at last if that does mm-hmm. happen. So we shall see if the stars align. All right. That is all for this uh, longer-than-average episode, but I hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. I hope you're checking out WXW. It's WXWnow.de. Check it all out. It's a very good streaming service. Lots of English commentary, lots of subtitles for the German, lots of really great video packages. You can jump in really easily to what's going on. Um, if you want to shout us out, we're on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. He is at Big Def Energy, B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. Let me check out the other great programs on LLP Radio. Got a lot of great ones. Also, LordsOfPain.net and LLPForums.com for a lot of great written material. Come join the conversation. That is everything. Thank you again for listening. Until next week, we have been Global Impact. Not Impact. What am I talking about? <laughs> it's too late at night uh, when we're recording this. Uh, blah, blah, blah. No, we have not been impactful at all, but we have been the Global Revolution. See ya.